0: You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show.
1: The view from our side of
2: the cockpit door.
0: WAPG, it's the Airline Pilot Guy.
2: Airline Pilot Guy, episode 538. Yeah, up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. Your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at former APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 25th of September, 2022. episode republic airways fails to get the faa to lower hiring standards for first officers the standards put in place following a 2009 crash the landing gear collapses as a flight lands in the congo more news your feedback and today's plane tale so get all settled in, tray cables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 538 is ready for pushback.
3: That he is, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in
0: New York City!
3: Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, and joining us from his studio
1: in Hartford,
0: Hereford, and Hampshire,
3: professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340, captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways, now a Sky Team member, is Captain Nick.
4: we <laughs> <laughs> would lovely to be back on the show, Jeff, after a suitable period of mourning for our Dear Departed uh, Queen, Uh, we now have a king in charge. Can't wait to tell you all about that.
3: Long live the king.
4: He shall, I'm sure.
3: Yes, and also joining us from his home studio in Carrollton, Georgia, he's a pilot at a Part 135 charter company. He's actually really so much more. It's our good friend, big APG community member, Stephen Ivey.
5: Hey everybody,
3: hope everyone's doing well. We are. I can't wait to get all caught up with you, Stephen.
5: And oh yes, so many exciting things.
3: Yes, so many exciting things. And also, a place to stand, a place to grow. Of course, from our studio in Toronto, retired financier and aviation enthusiast, spreadsheet master and our producer, it's Liz Piper.
1: Hi everybody, great to have Stephen on the show.
3: Yeah, that's great, and mm-hmm. speaking of cool. great, let's uh, let's cover some great news, shall we?
1: See you later, guys. Have a good one.
3: All right, Liz.
2: Stand by for news.
3: All right. Let's start off with an update. Uh, NTSB and U.S. Navy will recover the wreckage of the DHC-3 Turbine Beaver that crashed off Woodby Island in Washington State. Uh, the National Transportation Safety Board and uh, okay, well they'll recover the wreckage of the DHC-3 tur- Turbine Otter that crashed on September four. Wait a minute. Is it a turbine otter or a turbine beaver? I'm seeing
4: two. I was going to ask you that, since I'm not an expert in things. those kind of airplanes.
3: Was a I think it's a turbine engine? otter, because I think okay. I called it a twin otter before, and you guys said no, it's a turbine otter.
1: Yes, yes, you're correct. That's okay, correct. Yeah,
4: yeah, that yeah.
3: Bit it's, it's I
1: remember.
0: It's an
3: otter. Yeah, yeah it's an otter. well, I'm wondering why the headline has the wrong. Oh well. No. it's a headline it's a headline
5: well, it, it, it's it's the media they don't know how they identify aircraft
3: well it's from the darn ntsb that's their headline that is true It's troubling
4: perhaps <laughs> they've just got beavers okay. on the brain <laughs> well mm-hmm.
3: don't we all all right um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> we've already done that cover art <laughs> The investigation and preparations for recovery are ongoing. The main recovery effort to raise the wreckage is expected to begin on September 26, which was yesterday. The U.S. Navy will use a remotely operated vehicle, ROV, Uh, deep drone 8000, a barge and a crane to recover the wreckage from the seafloor. Once the barge is outfitted and in place, it will be a 24-7 operation. The crane will lift the aircraft wreckage pieces. The ROV will work on the seafloor, collecting smaller pieces of wreckage into baskets and connecting the wreckage to the crane to be lifted. The NTSB also released today, the preliminary report for the investigation. The report contains facts only. The NTSB will determine the probable cause of the crash, and the type of aircraft at the end of the investigation. According to the preliminary report, <laughs> thank you. Uh, the aircraft departed from Friday. I'll be here all week. Um, the, the, the aircraft no. departed from Friday. Fri- Friday. Friday. <laughs> Friday Harbor. <laughs> Washington, uh, around 2.50 p.m. Pacific time with a destination of Renton Municipal Airport. At 3.09 p.m., the aircraft impacted the water and sank. The pilot and nine passengers were fatally uh, injured. Uh, Let's see. Witnesses near the accident site reported the airplane was in level flight before it entered a slight climb, then pitched down in a near vertical descent. Several witnesses described the airplane spinning, rotating, or spiraling during portions of the descent. The NTSB coordinated with the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife, National Oceanic and Atmospheric uh, Administration's NOAA Navigation Response Team, and the University of Washington's Applied Physics Laboratory to locate the wreckage in Mutiny Bay. A sonar survey located the main wreckage and debris field or debris field at a depth of approximately 190 feet. Information contained in the report is preliminary and subject to change as the investigation progresses. So, there is your update on mm-hmm. that... Uh, the beaver. No, the, 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 the beaver otter. or the otter um, crash in uh, Mutiny Bay. So, very interesting. Yeah,
4: not much to say, really. We, no. We just know things are progressing.
3: Yep. All right, next item... This is from buffalonews.com. I assume that's Buffalo, New York. Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, the FAA rejects airline's request to turn back flight 3407 reforms and hire less experienced pilots. Let's see. Attempts by a regional airline to weaken rules on pilot training inspired by the victims of the flight of the Flight 3, 3407 crash have failed. That's a big win for the victims' families and the travelers they aim to protect. Uh, the family said Monday, when 50 people were killed in the Continental Flight 3407 plane crash in Clarence, New York, uh, close to the Buffalo airport, the victims' family members got to work ensuring nothing like it would ever it would ever happen again. Their advocacy resulted in rule changes that would make flying safer by imposing more stringent pilot training requirements. But their efforts were threatened recently when Republic Airways sought to gut one of its provisions and allow airlines facing a pilot shortage to hire co-pilots with half the usual minimum amount of flying experience. But that move has been rejected by the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration. The families commended the FAA for their decision these requirements have been the cornerstone of a package of regional airline safety reforms that have led to over 13 years without a fatal crash on a US commercial carrier by far and away the safest period in the skies that our country has experienced the family said in the statement goes on to a little bit remind us the 3407 crash and the uh, the uh, issues that um, well both pilots have but mainly the captain Uh, low experience and uh, a record of checkride busts and stuff like that and uh, there was really no effective way back then for uh, someone who went from airline to airline to uh, for the airlines to see any of this type of uh, data and now they've uh, made some headway uh, in in making that more transparent um, harder for somebody Micah to hide something here, about... main man, Micah says in our live audience, except the 1500 hour rule has absolutely nothing to do with the Colgan air crash uh, that you're talking about. Yeah. So he has
1: another comment. <laughs> uh,
3: it all had to be sleep schedules traveling from the West coast to a base on the East coast. Yes, I agree. Main man, Micah. <laughs> that was, that was something that they didn't touch was the fact that this guy, the captain, commuted all the way from the West Coast. And I'm not even sure if he had any kind of arrest period after he uh, commuted all the way across the United States. And
0: was... Hello? What's that? I don't
3: know. What's that? Okay. Um, did you have something to say, Stephen? Maybe that was from you?
5: Yeah, no, no, I was just going to say, you know, I I think it's kind of a twofold thing Micah was talking about, you know, the 1500 hour rule, I think it was one of those things where the FAA had a bunch of rulemaking that they were all lumped into one because of that. So it was the 1500 hour rule that rolled into there. additional training about stalls and tailplane stall that really wasn't covered before then. And then like what you talked about the additional record keeping Mm -hmm. that actually didn't take effect Till like last year I believe Right, it took and a if while. that was the case it would have prevented that Atlas crash from the fo that mm. you know mm. um, broke the uh, connection link in the um, control column on that 767 that crashed in Houston mm-hmm. so in, in raw actuality it really didn't do anything for anybody other than just cause people to do a lot more flying before they get to an airline which isn't necessarily a bad thing right I'm not saying that it's just
3: but it didn't I' don't really think they focus on it didn't really, really do anything
5: yeah, It didn't focus on what the actual problem was, which right. is people commuting from the west coast or from anywhere that are off duty, not getting paid to get to work,
0: mm-hmm.
5: which is a big thing. And at most airlines, yeah. So, but,
4: now, yeah. Now you were someone who had to go through that 1500 hour um, problem to gain the experience to get your yeah. licenses, um, yeah. yeah. You've got an ideal perspective to look back on this and say, Was this a reasonable thing for Republic to have asked for? What do you reckon, Stephen?
5: Uh, Well, I don't want to say that it's not unreasonable. I mean, you know, the flying that I did survey, I just was flying back and forth VFR. You know, I was doing a lot of hand flying um, to say that my experience is less beneficial than someone that. Went through a college program that, you know, flight instruction that their experience is any better. I mean, who's to say one's better than the other? It's all about your actual real world flying experience and how you apply yourself when you actually do get to an airline and how well you um, go through training, how well you are acceptive of airline procedures and everything. I mean, you could take someone off the street and if you you know, maybe just did nothing but airline training for them from the start. They'd probably be better off than I was when I hit 1,500 hours, but it's all about someone's actual experience and their flying. It's not, I don't really think the hours has a lot to do with it. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, I think that's why they gave special reductions to people that were in the military that could eat, come out. I think it was 700, guys that went through a college program, 750, mm-hmm. and then guys that went through a college program or 1,000. Mm-hmm. So,
3: depending I, on I whether mean, it's not. I'm a... not saying that four-year or two-year program yes
5: yeah, it's a, a four-year program you have to go through and everything so um i mean i i felt like you know my survey flying has helped me out a lot especially when it comes to hand flying approaches um because you know, that's all i was really doing was flying a ios localizer track all day so it's helped me out a lot with my hand flying skills but outside of that i can't really say that the 1500 hours flying a cessna round has benefit Benefited me that much, you know, when it came to multi-engine transport category aircraft. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's the, the other thing is
4: they they wanted to replace the 1500 hour limit with a course that would have reduced the flight experience to the same yes. as someone uh, who was ex-military, uh, Jeff. So, I'm I'm I know what our training was like. Uh, do, could do you think? republic's proposed uh, training scheme would really have produced someone of the capability of an ex-military pilot
3: no yeah. i think that they're more impressed with their own training program than they should be um <laughs> i'm sure it's fine yeah. um but uh to slash the 1500 hour requirement in half just because you go through their uh, special program um you know is is kind of Uh, ridiculous in a way, I think. And I'm glad that the FAA said, Nope. Now I think we should continue to look at that whole 1500 hour rule, you know, completely, uh, honestly, but just making an exception to it because you go through Republic's streamlined uh, course and it just, uh, it just doesn't uh, make a lot of sense to me. Uh, And to compare the, the uh, Republic's lift, um, program with uh, military training is uh is is almost too ridiculous to even consider. Um I haul boxes in our live audience says the drinking experience of an ex military pilot, Nick? Yeah, well the drinking experience uh, yes, well, definitely well, I is think important. That, that
4: arms you well
3: for the <laughs> civilian
4: world. Uh yes. yes.
5: And, you know, um, one, one other thing with that 1500 hour rule I just remember too, you know, part of that is you have to go through an ATP, CTP course that was mandated from that too, uh-huh. which is essentially learning how jets operate and the characteristics that you experience with jets as it comes to doing stalls and things like that. Too. That was something else that got out of that. So you have to complete that course before you actually start your um, IOE at your airline if you don't have your ATP already.
3: Yeah. And I mentioned this before, we have a, uh, one of our APG community members that uh, not only went through this program at Republic mm-hmm. um, as a student, but he also was an instructor for that program uh, for a while before he left. And uh, last thing we heard from Louisiana Steve, uh, a.k.a. Indianapolis Steve, I'm not sure what he's calling mm-hmm. himself <laughs> anymore. It was a jumper dumper like uh, Dr. Steph somewhere in Iowa, I believe, or something, uh, somewhere up there. Up that way. But uh, I asked him uh, re, you know, about the hand-flying, manual-flying skills, automation, that kind of thing. And he said, no. And they almost immediately just slapped the autopilot on and hardly ever get any hand-flying. And I'm thinking, well, why? Did, why? Why did they want to do it like that? And they said, well, that's the way... You're going to do, you know, that's the way you're going to do it in the airlines. That's the way they do it. So that's why we're teaching it this way. And I'm thinking, Uh, I don't know if I would uh, do it that way.
4: Someone's got the wrong end of the stick there. We're trying hard to persuade people not to do that, to do the exact opposite and hand fly the airplane when they get an opportunity.
3: Yeah. I agree. Yeah.
4: Yeah. Interesting, though, the statistics, uh, you know, don't lie. It's been an incredibly safe period uh, for American carriers. Um, so I wonder what they put that down to, if it's not down to the 1,500 hours.
3: I don't know. I'm sure there are listening many other ABG. factors. Yeah, listening I'm to sure the APG. But... Thank you, Liz. You're right. <laughs> it's got to be it. <laughs> yeah, that's
4: exactly right. That's got to be
3: it. Okay. Um Let's roll on to this next one, um, an accident An EQUA, E-Q-A-U-A, E-Q-U-A, EQUA, EQUA, B-190 at Point Noir on September nineteenth, twenty 2022, gear collapse on landing. There's some pictures of it in our uh, video. An EQUA flight service, Beach, 1900C, registration, Tango November, Alpha, India, Quebec performing flight 512 from Brazzaville Brazzaville to Point...
4: Brazzaville Brazzaville! Brazzaville! Brazaville. One two three, calling Brazzaville!
3: Brazzaville!
0: All aboard!
4: <laughs> I've, uh, spent, I've spent hours shouting out that name.
3: <laughs> I have never. I haven't even spent a whole minute <laughs> yeah, shouting well,
4: that out. And they've never seen no answer. You just plow through <laughs> their airspace regardless. Oh. Okay.
3: Uh, they're going from <laughs> Brazzaville! To Point Noir's runway 17 after sunset when the right-hand... That's the problem, after sunset. When the oh, right-hand main gear collapsed, causing the aircraft to veer right before coming to a stop. There were no injuries. Uh, the I think it's
4: because they were landing in that ice flow.
3: Yeah, that might have yeah. something to do with it. We're looking at this picture. Are you sure of dust?
4: that's Africa? It looks like the Arctic to me.
3: It does. Hmm... <laughs> yeah, something not right quite pictures, right about Jeff? that picture. <laughs> I thought I got it from the article. <laughs> By the way, I should mention it's from the aviation uh, herald uh website. No. N- m-
5: maybe that's that's sea foam like salt on the on the land, maybe? Oh it could be.
3: Oh, oh yeah, that is. Maybe it's they foamed the runway or something. Yeah,
5: that. yeah, it's water. That's what it is. It's sea foam. Oh.
3: Oh, sea foam. Oh, not the special firefighting foam, but near the water. Okay. I think they
5: can
4: have special firefighting foam. They might have some foam.
3: Well, that's true. It's probably more like the sea, as you said, sea foam. Uh, Okay. Uh, There were no injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage, however. The aircraft had been chartered by an oil company to bring the body of an employee who died in Morocco and the family home. (laughs) Oh, welcome yeah, welcome <laughs> home.
1: Yeah, what a trip. Yeah. Uh,
3: let's see. Point Noir's Runway 1-7 features an ILS, Runway 3-5, uh, an RNAV, or VOR DME approach. Um, no So tames.
4: they were on 1-7 flying the ILS.
3: So <laughs> yeah. Were they? That should have worked. Yeah.
4: I thought they were.
3: Okay. Let's see. Runway's
4: yeah. 1-7 features an ILS, and they landed on Runway 1-7. Hmm. Okay. With a tailwind, by the looks of it, well, oh, certainly a bit of crosswind.
3: Right. Let's see. Well, at the time, it looks like it was, yeah, it was blowing out of the south and uh, south west a little bit. Two hundred nine. Oh, okay. I'm thinking
4: of a different incident. Instant. We're about to come onto that. Sorry okay. about that. No, yeah, that's a headwind.
3: Yeah. Um, let's see.
4: So that's right. So it is is
3: Maybe just um, a weakened. Main landing gear system. Maybe some hard landings in the past. It just kind of gave out, right. gave up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't yeah. know really much else about this, do we? Yeah.
1: We'll see if we can find no. out. More, I'm glad no, right? no
4: one else was injured. There was one dead body on board, but I think they got on board. <laughs> it was already dead.
5: <laughs> yeah. Does that count as a second fatality? <laughs> <Yeah>. Well, <laughs> a fatality.
4: Only the autopsy will tell. <laughs>
3: Oh well, so it's good that we can have fun with people who have died.
1: <laughs> that's, that's us.
5: That's sorry about, us. Sorry about that. Well, <laughs> well, you know, people are gonna have fun with us when we're dead. So that's, that's little, true. We'll that's true. Well. Yeah. Yeah. We they won't expect will. anything
3: less. <laughs> no. No. Very disappointed if you don't and make it. If you
4: photos. can make it to my weight, you'll find a barrel of beer. A free barrel of beer is track
3: be at <laughs> <laughs> Hey, not that I'm hoping that you'll be gone soon, Nick, but mm, what kind of All beer? Right,
4: but that's 188 <laughs> pints of free Cheers. beer. Mm.
3: Cheers. Okay. I'll drink to that. Okay. Uh, next MP. item. Your video. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were saying my video was uh, acting up. No, no, no. I got you. Okay. Play the video, Jeff. Um, here we go. Should I uh, yeah, play that? Like okay, that. I'll put that while I'm talking about the uh, uh, incident. Is it this one? Add to stream. Nope, mm, nope, nope, nope. That's nope. the wrong one. Nope. <laughs>
1: okay. It's the one right next to it. I'll Thank put you. it in.
3: Oh, okay, go ahead. Put it in and make sure the volume is kind of down low. There you go. Okay, uh, from the Aviation Herald. An Air India Express Boeing 737-800 Registration Victor Tango Alpha X-Ray Zulu Uh, You might want to play it again That was short Performing flight 442 from Muscat, Oman To Kochi, India With uh, 145 passengers Was accelerating for takeoff From Muscat's runway 8 left At about 1135 local time When the crew rejected to takeoff at low speed About 40 knots over the ground Yeah, very low speed Due to a right-hand engine, CFM-56, fire indication, the crew slowed the aircraft and vacated the runway via the next high-speed turnoff about 1,800 meters or 6,000 feet down the runway and stopped clear of the runway on the adjacent taxiway. An emergency evacuation via slides followed, along with many, many passengers uh, carrying their baggage during the evacuation. Uh, Fourteen passengers are, rep- passengers are reported to have sustained injuries during the uh, evacuation. So, as I was reading that, we were watching the video on the video podcast. Um, so, any any things to mention there, Captain Nick, about your impression? Yes,
4: yes I he's just failed his line check. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I don't know about that. But I would, if that had been my line check, I think I'd have failed. Yeah, because the uh, check captain would probably have tapped me on the shoulder and asked me why following a, a rejection at 40 knots, why I then taxied 6,000 feet down the runway in order to taxi off with an engine fire. Yeah. So I'm going, what, why? Why is he taxied all the way down, probably halfway down the runway? I don't know how long the total runway length is, but it's yeah. significant distance. And it can't have been, it's not quick. Um <laughs> Uh, bef- and, and taxi clear with an engine fire so don't like that decision um, i agree I, my feeling is you stop straight away take the actions if you're going to evacuate evacuate on the runway right there and then don't mess about you know very easily uh, in past cases how a fire can um you know, uh, take hold. Although he looks like he's going faster than... Oh no, that's yeah, that <laughs> was another an airplane. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> just got confused by the, for a yeah. second there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't I, I don't understand what his the logic was there. Um,
3: perhaps someone can explain it to me. I don't know. Maybe Stephen can explain it. What was he doing there, Stephen?
5: Um, I mean, maybe he thought that. Uh, he needed to get off, and that was the most available hmm. taxiway. But I mean, I don't know why you, like Nick was saying, just stop and run the QRH and get out of there. Like, if you got yeah. a fire, why you want to diddle daddle to get off the runway? Like, it's a perfectly good piece of pavement. Maybe just the get off the plane. Maybe the Didn't firehouse the was. Runway.
3: On that end of the runway, and <laughs> thinking, well, I'll just get, <laughs> we'll meet them. He's oh, meet the oh,
5: oh. Yeah, okay. or, or he wanted to give time for everybody to get their bags off. So oh, he got yeah. off you know, <laughs> the oh, runway man. so they had more space and everything. <laughs> oh, you're
4: a cruel <laughs> man, Steve <Stephen laughs> and You're a cruel man. That's likely, that's, You're quite so, right. Yeah. That's another good point.
3: <laughs> okay.
4: Yes. Well. So, uh, you know, I'm glad no one was hurt other than the how many? that 14, 14 passengers yeah. who hurt themselves going down the slides, probably because they fell over their damn roller bags Mm -hmm. uh, or left their shoes on or something. Um, I think we really do need to re-educate the traveling public as to how to conduct uh, an evacuation safely, despite all the fancy videos we get which feature, you know, celebrities and stars from around the world and are turned into cartoons and everything to de uh, well, remove them from reality. What we actually need to do I think is centre these things back on the hard facts of how to survive an evacuation and make sure that they take centre stage in our safety videos um, and then add fripperies on, you know, after you've got the point made. So the point is, you know, this is for your safety. This is how to get off the aeroplane quickly. Don't mess about. you could you could die if we end up with another the big one in the uk was the manchester air disaster where a 737 um uh, the number nine combustor uh exploded and uh, started a fire and uh you know about half the people on board uh, couldn't get off and this all they did was to stop very close to a taxiway. So the guy just like swung the airplane off the runway onto the taxiway and then came to a complete halt. By that time, the fire had become so intense it had taken complete hold of the airplane and huge number of the passengers on board, proportion of the passengers on board were killed. It was a, a big learning lesson for us here in the UK. I wish that the rest of the world would review that and take it back on board.
5: Yeah, good point. You, you, you know, along with just videos on how to evacuate, I, there just needs to be some, an airline to do just general videos for airport and onboard and aircraft etiquette. I, I don't know what it was this past week, but it was like I kept getting, like, knee in the shoulder by people walking by in the aisle. I almost had a bag dropped on me a couple times. And then just, I don't know, it's like the general public just has forgotten how to behave, as a decent human being yeah, in an airport, or maybe it's just me or no. It
4: well, more I, than me? I, it's like the, the, the social media even seems to be in amplification system for bad manners right now, because as soon as you see someone being recorded, who's displayed a, you know, had, had a meltdown or whatever, uh, it, it's so many other people see it and there's got to be a proportion of people who now think that's normal behavior and and copy their, you know, really poor behavior. I think it would be really nice if we could see videos of people being really pleasant to each other to re-educate the public on just what is acceptable. But there you go, I'm an old man, so don't listen to me.
3: No, well, I'm an old man too, and I agree with you 100%. <laughs> um, I think that a lot of it may be that bad parenting. They're not teaching kids proper etiquette yes. and manners yes um i think there are people out there even young people that still have manners still look at you in the eye when they're walking off the airplane and uh, and thank you for you know the the flight and and all that it's not yeah. that difficult they're to do job well yeah, yeah i i just i feel that sometimes it's because they just don't know that they're supposed to do that you know that's uh yeah.
4: Well, I can understand why you say bad parenting to a degree. But when we're all adults, we can relearn. We can reteach ourselves how to behave properly uh, by following the example of people who we admire. And I think there's enough people to be admired in the world. People perhaps pick the wrong role models.
3: but Right.
1: Tony Smith has an interesting comment. Tony Smith
3: there. in the live audience says they have taken all the screens out of most of the European routes so that they have gone back to the live demos by the cabin crew. Um, okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. I mean, they're yeah. all live demos on the airplane that I fly because, again, there are no entertainment screens on the Boeing 717. Yeah, good point. Um,
4: I, I always think of, you know, international carriers. So.
3: Mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Well, there are other wait, carriers fancy still... What's that? Did you... Does somebody have an open mic? Is that...
5: Is that Marcy, Steven? Someone on this flight. No, I don't think so.
3: Yeah. Okay. So, um... Let's hear some more of that. I guess not. Here we go. Okay, so... I'd hope to have a little bit more fun with that. (laughs) So um, I heard this somewhere. Um, I I don't recall now where, uh, but apparently uh, it's just American Airlines, as far as I can tell. Um, And uh, certain flights in the last half a year, uh, on the PA system, they're hearing these sounds, these noises. Here, I'll start from the beginning again. Uh Okay, so it's being uh, broadcast over the PA system aboard these flights, and I think most of them uh, have happened when the aircraft was in the air, so not on the ground, and they can't seem to figure out where it's coming, how this is happening. And uh, there are a few theories, if you go to uh, some websites discussing this, uh, of exactly how the the pranksters or hackers were able to do this thing. Um, but uh, I just thought that was kind of odd. And it's odd because, it you know, you don't, I don't think any other airline has experienced this, this problem, but American airlines, I'm wondering if it's some just very, very smart, um, you know, it person that works on the in-flight <laughs> you know, music or well, in in-flight entertainment well, I, systems or something. What? Go ahead. But,
5: but that's an independent system from the PA. That's the PA mm-hmm. system on the aircraft though. So yeah. my guess is it's the same guy that does the meowing on guard. And he just <laughs> doesn't know how to use the RTU and he's just <laughs> bumping the PA switch. <laughs> but that, that's, that's, the, that's my guess.
3: It's the same guy that uh, well, not only does a meowing, but also guard.
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, there's the a uh, an annual conference in the United States, I think, where hackers get together, and I'm trying to remember the name of oh, it. Oh, Black Hat. Like. hat. Black, Black Hat. hat white, yeah. White yeah. White hat and for years now, there have been a number of hackers that claim that they can hack into various aircraft systems, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, they they claim that everyone's across concerned that they will be able to make an airplane, turn around, land, take off, do something stupid. But, of course, uh, there really is no physical connection between anything on the aircraft and the flight control system. So that's incredibly remote. But the vulnerable area are the the entertainment systems, which includes the PA. Uh, And if you've got Wi-Fi uh, connected uh, through your entertainment system that the passengers can access... There is a back channel, possibly, where you could um, gain access to the PA system. Uh, It's not a, you know, it's it's a flight safety system, yes, but it's you know, it's not it's not one that we would associate with the stuff the pilots do on the flight deck. So it's not necessarily going to have the same firewall um, as the rest of the aircraft systems. Uh, I'm just thinking uh, off the back of my. Fag packet here if I smoked, but I don't. um, That uh, this this might be uh, a hacker who's managed to get into this area, and the fact it's only one airline, I'm going well. Okay, if he's hacked that code, then that it might be restricted to that airline. But if I had managed to gain access to the PA system by hacking it. I wouldn't just make that noise. I'd do something really funny. <laughs> <laughs> like farting I mean, I'd do something, something. <laughs> epic. You know, i <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. I'd try and, I'd try and do an advert or something, you know, uh, <laughs> okay. and, and, well, you try and make some monetize it perhaps, or, or yeah. certainly make it sound better than that. So, yeah, just try to handles. Yeah.
5: Just try I mean, it, media the
4: chances are that perhaps someone's just, uh, found a way to reach round to the cabin crew's PA telephone thing and just grabbed it and making a few silly noises and then hung up again. That would be my
3: guess. That would be very a very simple explanation. But I think that yeah. uh, some in-depth articles regarding this have said that uh, that they have like ruled that out because they saw where all the handsets were and they were still hearing the noise. I don't know. I'm not sure what the heck is going on. But thank you, John uh, Motazetti, who sent that in. Uh, He's the CEO of SNC Squared, a network doctor company. Cool. We have CEOs listening to our podcast. Amazing. Thank you, John. A network doctor company. Yeah. So, you know, here we always want to make sure that we are uh, in the – the doctor is in the network. I don't know if that has anything to do with but, uh, an, a network doctor <laughs> company. But
5: oh, so I, I'm meet. just
4: thinking is he a, a medical doctor on the I don't networks? Know. I'm um, assuming. Or uh, is he someone who wants to doctor the network?
3: Oh. Oh. So you're saying that he's the one that's responsible for this. <laughs> well, he is doctoring be, that he's network. He's saying, well, I've got PAs. the cure
4: for this. <laughs> yeah, I, I
3: can stop people hacking into your PA system. Uh, we're on to you, John. he's just he's just played us i think on this on on our show that could be all right anyway i just wanted to make sure that we uh got that in there and thank you john for sending that and uh the
4: actress to the bishop (laughs)
3: One (laughs) okay uh one e this is uh accident uh an aeronaves aeronaves TSM Swearingen engine SA 227 Metro third, uh, Metro 3 registration uh, X-ray alpha uniform Mike whiskey, performing freight flight VTM 717 from Satillo, Mexico to Laredo, Texas, with two crew departed Satillo's runway 35 or 35, reaching about 800 feet above ground level. When the crew needed to initiate a forced landing in an open field north of the airport due to problems and vibrations with the right-hand engine and loss of power. The aircraft touched down about 4,500 meters, which is 15,000 feet or 2.4 nautical miles north of the runway end. The crew was taken to a hospital as a precaution but was released without injuries. The aircraft sustained substantial damage. The crew reported there were problems with the right-hand engine. Uh, it no longer responded and began to vibrate. Authorities report the aircraft was airborne for about three minutes. Both occupants escaped the forest landing without injuries. And then we were looking at some of the, um, the pictures in the uh, uh, video uh, regarding this uh, accident. Yeah, it did a lot of damage, substantial damage, I would say, for sure. Um, yeah. yeah. So uh,
4: I'm, I'm curious, what kind of carrier would this have been?
5: It is a Mexican cargo carrier, and I believe they transport car parts because I've seen the Metroliners around the oh, U.S., okay. or especially around the south, Southwest, do a pretty good bit.
4: So my next question is, what are the regulations regarding single-engine performance for this Metro 3? I,
5: I, I was sitting here trying to figure that out too, Nick. I, I, <laughs> good man. Good man. Carry yeah. on. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know where yeah, I'm I going just, with this, don't you? Yeah, because it – I, I I don't know if that particular model, liner is transport category or not, that it would need that single engine performance, because I, I'll have to look. I'm not sure, though.
4: Okay. All right. I don't know. It's a shame that it only managed three minutes, though, after an engine failure.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: <laughs> yeah, it's kind of odd Odd that they couldn't at least maintain altitude. Of course, it looked like they are in a little bit of a valley there. So That's a San I'm,
0: Antonio I'm sure sewer pipe, yeah.
3: Yes, Liz. Uh, she said uh, it, it is a San Antonio uh, sewer pipe. Uh, the uh, swear engine, uh Metro. Um, <laughs> that- that's the uh, uh, nice little uh, complimentary nickname. Um, i hold Boxes. Oh, Jeff I hold boxes your, has a uh, not quite so... Nice um, <laughs> name for it as well. I've
4: already done a sewer pipe
0: show title. So yeah. um,
3: I'm wondering if it's more than just the engine failed. Um, maybe there was something to do, something wrong with the propeller system and it not feathering, uh, or it they talk excessive vibration. And even well, if an aer- it,
4: The housing has broken off now, that could easily have been. With the impact of landing, mm-hmm. but the engine um, on the right-hand side—that one of those pictures shows the—it is actually snapped clear. Yeah. Uh, the other engine looks like it was perhaps underpowered, Jeff, because all the blades have been ripped off. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the expert when it comes to analysing crashes. Well, I'm not a
3: not an expert anymore, but I uh, do well, recall. Well, you did more
4: courses on it than I did.
3: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, usually, what you look for are the uh you know the like the blades and the curling uh, kind of a pattern on the blades, whether or not they were producing power or not and but the blades are pretty much gone on that on yeah, that they've left all side. snapped off yeah yeah, so perhaps that's the on. problem, perhaps his blades were a bit short, yeah, they need to be longer blades
1: <laughs> <laughs> maintenance <issue>. okay.
3: <laughs> Uh, I haul boxes in so, our live audience says Metros have a history of flipping over after engine failures. Not entirely, yeah. why, entirely sure why, though. Go ahead, Stephen.
5: Nick, is, is, is it FAR 23 that certifies the, the single engine performance? Or is that just the standard manufacturing certification? I, I think can't remember.
3: It's 23, and then I think there's a Part 25 as well that I'm not sure what the difference is, though
5: yeah so the the model three was just certified with it looks like f a r twenty three with some special amendments to it so mm-hmm. uh that's all and then far thirty six which was looks like an updated regulation but
3: where's miami Rick when you need' him?
5: Uh, yeah that's what I was sitting here thinking. <laughs>
4: I we'd have listened to him for half an hour, and we still wouldn't know the answer. <laughs> and we still know the answer. Yeah, exactly,
3: <laughs> and we just like well, just like nod our heads, like uh huh. Yeah, okay. we well, would
4: have. Yeah, we'd have been asleep.
3: Anything else to add? But no. it's
4: just a shame that uh, you know. Okay, I understand you get an engine failure, uh, you know, vibration, whatever, and it's nasty. But if the other one's still going, uh, mm-hmm. uh, three minutes staying airborne is not very long.
3: Yeah. Maybe they were overloaded with car parts or something. Yeah,
4: overweight. Well, As soon as I go, all right. They're from a, a country probably not renowned for its uh, levels of uh, flight safety. Um, I think possibly that mm-hmm. um, Laredo isn't that where the singing cowboy came from.
3: It could be. Which
0: one? Okay. Texas town. I don't know. Oh, I'm cho- assuming
4: Chicago. Jeff knows because he was like oh. brought up singing.
3: Um, and he's yeah. a bit of a cowboy. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a cowboy, and I, you know, um, my my <laughs> expertise is in cowboy songs. Apparently, no, uh, That's yeah, not true. well, <laughs> don't
4: know. Perhaps, you perhaps uh, Liz can look up the cow. Oh, actually, we oh, got main man Mike in the. Okay, chat Liz is the looking it up. She's on it. There's a cowboy song f- about Laredo.
3: Laredo. I know there's one about um, El Paso. El Paso. Oh, there's the got to be a Laredo. Song there you go.
0: Perhaps you streets can of sing a bit of that before the end of the show, history. Jeff.
3: Okay.
1: As I walked out in the streets of Laredo, as no. I walked out in Laredo one day.
3: No, yep. uh, that's not it, Liz. <laughs>
1: streets Streets of Laredo by oh, Martin. What was Rodgers.
5: she trying to
3: get you? To Is it really? Oh, yeah, of It sounded like you were saying, "No, no, 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 El Paso." So I don't know the words. Anyway. Well,
1: anyway, I don't know the tune, obviously.
3: Yeah. Okay. So you were using that tune. Okay. Gotcha.
4: Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I don't know. So all I'm suggesting is that there were cowboys coming back to Laredo. And they were probably singing a lot. But
3: yeah.
1: And saying
0: yeehaw. haw okay. Better Who say
3: yee not Jeff. yee Okay. There. You were saying yee a lot, uh, which would be like this. Yee-haw! <laughs> yep. Ah. <They're> the boys. <laughs> okay. With a Mexican accent. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, next item. Uh, last. No, not last. Almost last. Item in our news segment: An incident. A Swift Boeing Seven Thirty Seven Four Hundred freighter, on behalf of West Atlantic Sweden registration Econ uh, Charlie November Lima Sierra, performing flight fifty-seven forty-five from Paris Charles de Gaulle to Montpellier, France, with three crew, landed on Montpellier's runway one two left, but overran the end of the runway and came to a stop with the nose gear already in the water around 200 meters or 650 feet past the runway end. There were no injuries. The aircraft received minor, if any, damage, but was wet. No, but was immobilized. <laughs> yes. uh, the airport reported the aircraft's front part, the nose, is partially submerged in the Lalang de Maguel. <laughs> I don't know how do you say that. Which, which, which is de
4: really de good way to treat the avionics bay, which no. is the bit that's
3: underwater. <laughs> yeah, nothing, nothing that you can hurt up there. You know,
4: no, nothing at all. Nothing electrical that's going to really get wrecked.
3: Hmm. Well, um, let's see. The runway eight thousand five hundred and thirty feet long by fourteen. I guess that's um, meters, maybe yeah. width. Yeah. That's interesting. They use feet for <laughs> the length, but <laughs> the meters for the width. <laughs> That's mm.
4: uh, it's French for you. Oh. Yeah. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> Always try to confuse us. Um, let's see. Winds were 360 at 21 knots. What runway was this? Um,
4: yeah. It, 12. It, this, this is the one. This is the one with oh, tailwind. I see. Wind, or possibly <laughs> with the tailwind. One, two. Uh-huh way, 1 2
3: oh yeah. and plus ra which means heavy rain yep yep With br a, is what mist mist uh, yes so rain, barely, yeah. raining. Oh. <laughs> <Baby>. <laughs> barely raining barely <laughs> <laughs> raining it's it's some french word that means mist yeah um yeah. For, yeah. vertical v's uh VCTS, scattered 800 Q. Vicinity, towering or thunderstorms in the vicinity. I think that's what that means. Yeah, there you go. Eight hundred scattered, fifteen hundred broken, two thousand overcast. It's
4: been so long. uh,
3: Becoming three hundred and sixty at ten. So it looks like the wind was starting to die down a little bit. But in in any event, as as Captain Nick makes the point, um, why are you landing on a runway with a huge tailwind like that?
5: Hmm.
4: Yeah. Uh, eight and a half thousand feet isn't bad, uh, you know. It's mm-hmm. it well, a well, depends.
5: Also, s- well, it, it's an asphalt runway that's not grooved either, so yeah. it's truly wet. So
3: sorry. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they were. It's you like know, we don't know went. what kind of speed they were flying. You know, they might have been very fast, or where they, landed or where they touched yep. down. You know,
4: a lot that's of facts that. to come out, but because yeah. we're all suspicious of a. A bit of a float, uh, you know, landing deep, uh, landing fast. Well, yeah. It's
5: a, Oh, never mind. That's where, where they ended up. I thought that was 650 feet As the touch. I don't know. They ended up 650 feet on the wrong end of the runway. Never. Yeah. Sorry.
3: Yeah. Part of the runway that's in the water. Um, <laughs> The
1: float plane
3: base. The float and plane And they, they
4: did re, a reasonable distance off the end. Of the, it's not like they just trickle up a few feet. They've got a reasonable way off the end of the runway.
3: You might, if you're going to do it, Nick, you m- may as well just <laughs> yes. you know, really do it. 650
0: feet.
4: Yeah. So they turned the 8,500 foot runway into at least a 9,000 foot, <laughs> <laughs> 9, foot runway. In fact, 9,180 foot runway.
5: Yes, Kevin? What was Wasn't there. Um, Another 7-3 that went off in Jacksonville at Craig, and they kind of did the same thing. It
3: it was Jacksonville – no, Cecil, I think. Oh, yeah, it was
5: the air station. Or or Jacksonville
3: Naval Air Station, whatever, right on the water. Well, you can
4: understand people going into the water at a naval air station. I mean, that kind of goes with
3: the territory, doesn't it? Yeah.
5: But, no, I was just thinking it's very reminiscent of that because Mm -hmm. they were landing in a thunderstorm, Mm -hmm. and it was raining really bad, and they Mm -hmm. missed – Missed the touchdown zone by a good, good bit, if I remember.
3: Yep.
1: I think Micah's right
3: with this yep. one, Actually, um, Main Micah says, it. if Mike I remember correctly. they have history. Oh, this is the second West Atlantic 737 accident uh, within the past 18 more. months. Hmm. Ouch. Okay. Yeah.
5: Hmm. So, but, but it says a Swift Air. It's, Swift Air's a U.S. operator.
3: Yeah. And uh, a, right? I think that that was the company...
4: Oh, yeah, they're operating
3: on behalf of West Atlantic. Yeah. And wasn't Swift Air the so one they, that did actually go off the runway in Jacksonville the, Naval Air? That State? was My,
5: Miami Air International. Oh, Miami Air,
3: okay. Yeah. It was something there.
1: So Swift is Spanish, says I hope. Oh, it's
3: Spanish, okay. Gotcha. Oh, okay.
4: I love That's the that. bit where it says, aircraft received minor, if any, damage. <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh, yeah.
5: Right. so Here's good.
3: Yeah, I love right. it. I think yeah. I received. I'm
4: sure the insurers are going to agree with
3: that. Yeah.
5: Yeah, Mike, Mike is right. They had another incident in um, 2016.
3: Mm. Well, hey, what do you think we end the news segment with? Um, kind of a positive, not a, not a crash. Let's <laughs> um, just possible?
4: go back 80 years, shall we?
3: <laughs> so. Um, Here in the United States, uh, a new uh, branch of the military was established called Space Force. Space Force. Space Force. And uh, apparently they've been working hard on coming up with a a song, an official song. Well, Space Force has now unveiled its official song. Do you all want to hear it? Yes, of course. (laughs) All right, here we go. Sempa Supra. Will the mind be watchful high? Guardians beyond the blue. invisible the front line. Fighters, Warfighters brave and true. true. Boldly reaching to into space. space. There's, no There's no limit to our, to our, our disgrace. not to our sky. Standing. Dark both night and day, we're the space force from on high. Oh. da da, yay!
4: Love it, lovely. <laughs> what did uh, you think? How did they manage to dig up
3: old Sousa and get him to compose that? <laughs> it one. Did sound very Sousa-esque <laughs> for sure, especially those yes. little piccolos. Uh, you know, oh, absolutely!
4: The, the whole arrangement, the whole thing is like taking me back. And to halfway through the last... In fact, earlier than that, probably somewhere around the
3: 1920s, I would have thought. Mm-hmm. You weren't even born in the 20s. <laughs> yeah, but I've How listened can that to all the
5: music. <laughs> um, I, I, I was instantly dis- disappointed. There, I, I was expecting the Star Wars or Star uh-huh. Trek theme. And yeah, <laughs> you see,
4: they could have made it full of pizzazz and,
3: mm-hmm.
4: and ultra techie and...
3: Yeah, yeah synthesizers and, yeah, and full orchestra, yeah, and yeah uh, I'm a little could disappointed. Have John
4: too. Williams should have done it. You know, it could have been all yeah um, Star
3: Wars. There's, that would have been. There's also another um, video that we're not going to play because it's just not that exciting. But it's a behind-the-scenes video of how the song was developed and written, and uh, we'll include that in the show notes if you're curious at, at all regarding that.
5: W- was it at a bar? Like, just
3: like sat well, down at the bar and <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah. no, I, awesome. I was really drawn. <laughs> you do, do need to see that
4: how it was developed and written because the, the two guys that you know sort of did it one did the arrangement, one wrote the words and everything they are just so, um, you know, happy to have been given this opportunity and they're Very keen, they're completely, uh, you know, uh, on. Cloud Nine with their song, so oh, I, 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 I feel it's going to be a bit of a shame if they get, you know, brought down in flames, yeah, by some satellite-killing missile.
3: <laughs> Speaking of that, it's not in our news lineup, but it just happened last night. Yeah, and it's start. sort of aviation-related, but it's more space-related. Um, the NASA launched this um, satellite. That basically went careening through. Uh, do you careen through space? Perhaps. You yeah, I think you can. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I had nailed a Ford Carina. It What's
4: that? <laughs> I had a Ford Carina. Oh, okay. Was it t- or t- was it a Toyota Carina? It careened around everywhere.
3: Parts of it careened everywhere. <laughs> yeah. um, anyway, the satellite. Uh, w- it was aimed, and it was like over a million miles away, I think, right, Stephen? It was a damn
4: good shot, yeah. wasn't it? Uh,
3: yeah, and it actually... And it was
4: a small piece
1: of rock.
3: Yeah, it was a... I don't know. How big was that? So, um, Brent was asking me today. Very, uh, but, yeah, no, it
1: was small. small. Just a minute, i Keep it. Pretty love small? That. Keep going.
3: It was, it was not big.
4: It was you know, only a few hundred meters across.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: I mean, it was a little satellite of a bigger asteroid, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah. And they they didn't go for the biggest asteroid. They went for the tiny little Jeff, one. Jeff, it was yeah. 525. And they bonked it right on the across. nose. I was very impressed. 525
3: feet across. 25
0: so
4: 525 feet across. just <laughs> oh, 25? Ago. I mean, that is that is a hell of a shot.
3: You just said 25 feet, Liz? 5 525.
1: 525. 0. 0.48 of a mile. Okay, 80.
3: so just shy of a half a mile. Okay. Hmm. Anyway, I I don't know. Have we heard anything yet? If it actually made any uh, had any effect on the orbit of this You're thing or designed? is it I think it I think
0: I don't know. No, I have not. Oh, heard I expect
4: that. it's gonna take a little while yeah. for the data to come in. But uh, I mean just the fact that they had those fantastic images of it <laughs> this yeah. little asteroid, Bigger and bigger and
3: bigger. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the I camera was to destroyed. To see a
4: pair of eyeballs looking back out of the <laughs> crater, wouldn't that be awesome? Asteroid, ah,
3: like these little, little creatures,
0: <laughs> <laughs> jumping so, off.
3: Absolutely. Oh man! All right, I'm sorry. Uh, I just wanted to mention that. But a, that a
4: fantastic so uh, technological achievement yeah. to have, uh, you know, achieved. The, all we need to do now is find out a way to detect these asteroids because. You know, now we know one's there and we can hit it. They're actually really hard to detect, apparently, hmm. and they get often get really close. Sometimes they go whistling past us, and we don't even know that we've had a near miss until they're already, you know, mm-hmm. they're already no longer a factor, disappearing into the distance. And then someone goes, oh, did you see that? <laughs> that one nearly hit us. Yeah. So we need to also brush up on our ability to
3: detect these lumps of rock. Right. And I guess they're they're traveling very fast and they're very small. I guess it's pretty difficult to spot them until they're here.
4: Yeah, a lot of it apparently has to do with how they're lit because a lot of it's still done optically. There's no other real way. There's no radar that finds them at at a suitable range. Because if you're going to pile something uh, as small as a little satellite into one of them, you've got to hit it an awful long way away. And I think that's, part of the the trick is to uh, do what they did. They fired it out a very long distance where you, something small can deflect it um, a fraction of a degree and that's enough to cause a missed distance. Um, So that, that is brilliant, but you've got to find it and know it's coming.
1: looks like they're still analyzing if
0: it actually diverted it. Okay.
3: Yes. uh, Liz is saying that it looks like um, they are still analyzing uh, to see whether or not it, had any effect on its orbital track, trajectory, or trajectory. <laughs>
4: I love Thank it. You. I love what NASA does nowadays. You know, honestly,
3: you tomorrow, Let's throw a satellite into a rock. <laughs> honestly, I'm thinking to myself as I'm watching this last night. This is going to be a horrible fail. It's going to go right past it. <laughs> Whoa! Here it goes, <laughs> yes. a Swing and a mess. Uh, well,
4: exactly, because I mean, it, we're not talking a missile here. It has to be a hit aisle. A hit <laughs> Missing is. Yeah. Exactly. It's, you could missed by one inch and you completely mm. failed so, close.
5: <laughs> so uh when do uh, bruce willis and all of them get ready to save us from that asteroid they're not uh that's gonna hit earth now because they oh i don't know <laughs> but Have you've
4: been if you've been watching bruce willis is roasting on uh on twitter that's been doing the rounds golly no. that's funny mm. that is absolutely hilarious Make some uh, very funny people on that. Can't repeat any of it because it's all too rude. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, by the way, but it's I, I, very good.
3: I need to mention this um, more often than I do. Um, when, if you're listening to the audio podcast, uh, you'll hear Liz making comments, and then I'll sometimes repeat them. And the reason for that is that uh, the folks that are um, watching the video that we're live recording. They cannot hear, and and the co-hosts can't hear her either. So that's why I end up uh, repeating. <coughs> Excuse bless me, you bless you, sir. Oh, yeah, I have a little allergy us. thing going on. Okay, time to move on to getting to know us. It's the time of the show. Where we get all caught up with uh, what has been happening with uh, everybody between shows and uh, let's start with um i'll start with me because i hardly anything happened really with me um i flew a couple actually uh, the house is for sale now finally it's been uh, about a week and a half ago we listed uh, the home that i've been living in for 21 years and uh we're showing it to interested parties And sometimes uh, I need to be away from the house uh, if I'm not on a trip so that, uh, you know, you're just out of the way. You don't want to be hanging around and going, you know, what do you think? You like it? Huh? Huh? You like it? Um, So because uh, they didn't want me doing that, I thought, um, well, they asked if I could like stay in a hotel that opening weekend of showings. And I said, I'll do one better than that. I'll go and pick up a trip and uh let Acme pay for my hotels and make some extra money at the same time. So I just returned from a 3-day, I was off a day and then I went out on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday and then back out on my normal uh schedule, scheduled trip on uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And uh wow, that by by day 6, uh, I was like brain dead, even more so than normal. And uh, so I had four days off and since that last. And you got a reroute
1: on your first trip. day out, and you had to Yeah. Miss
3: Tulsa. Oh, that's thank you, Liz. Um, so the trip that uh, I flew, I guess, basically the day four of the six days in a row, uh, we were supposed to have a layover in Tulsa, a big Tulsa meetup. We've been talking about it for weeks now, and uh, we were going to have um, several people were going to be meeting up with us in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and guess what? We had a little bit of a hiccup, a little mechanical glitch, and uh, it wasn't really that long of a delay. And uh, we're not really sure, Brent and I, aren't really sure exactly why they ended up having us do another thing instead of doing the um, the Tulsa trip and the Tulsa layover. But, you know, y- you can question it all you want, but it's not Going to do any good? You're just going to do whatever they tell you to do, and so that three-day, three-leg day turned into a four-leg day. Uh, the last two legs were just up to Knoxville, Tennessee, and back to Atlanta. Pretty short, and uh, the good part of it, it was that we ended up um, having a domicile layover. So I was I was there in Atlanta for and only one flight to Dallas the next day. yeah, and only one flight to uh, Dallas Love Field the next day. So. Yeah, in that respect, it, it was it was nice, but I was so disappointed because I was so looking forward to uh, meeting up with our our um, Tulsa, Oklahoma folk. But we'll be back for sure. We'll do that meetup um, at a later date. But um, anyway, I did have a meetup though. Um, I got a call from Captain Craig, uh, and he said that he was um, flying from Oklahoma City. Going home to uh, Baltimore, Maryland, and he was flying through Atlanta and was wondering if I was going to be at the airport on Saturday morning again, it was one of those situations where i wasn't flying i didn't have a trip scheduled, but uh, I needed to be out of the house because there was a showing scheduled, and i'm thinking, hmm, I could just drive down to the airport and meet you for breakfast so that's what I did on Saturday morning got me out of the house, and then even better got me a nice meet up with one of our great APG community members, Captain Craig. Uh, he's out in um, Altus, Oklahoma, Altus, yeah. uh, going through some training on the C-17. And I think he just finished his sims, and I think that he has a week or two off, and then he's going to go back and start the flight, uh, actual airplane flight training portion of the uh, training. So it was really great to see you, uh, Captain Craig. And
5: uh, so, Hey, Jeff. Yeah. What, what concourse were y'all on? Because oh, yeah. I, I saw I saw this as I got in my car uh-huh. on Saturday. Yeah, you know I didn't right even think
3: uh I, I need to remember to do that. Uh, Steve is like when I'm doing one of these meetups is just like put out a general tweet and say, hey, I'm going to uh, be in the Atlanta airport meeting up with someone. If you're if you happen to be here, meet us over at. That was. Uh, did you say when?
5: Point oh, where were y'all
3: at oh what concourse what kind of we ended concourse? up going to the uh t concourse at uh, okay. pappy's or puppies little cuban oh, place okay. for some breakfast yeah, poppy not your dog it's a well here she comes oh okay anyway um yeah that was uh That's that was did, it eh? yeah uh, not not a lot going on with me and uh Let's see, Captain Nick, um, yeah. you mentioned it at the beginning of the show, uh, and in the background uh, of your video shot right now has a, a beautiful uh, shot of, is that Windsor Castle?
4: Uh, yes, it is, most certainly.
3: And uh, <coughs> so why, pray tell, would you be showing us a, an overhead view of Windsor, Windsor Castle?
4: Well, I am hoping, considering the coverage, had to be at least a fraction of what we saw in the UK that everyone will have heard the sad news that uh, uh, our monarch uh, passed away, Queen Elizabeth II. uh, And we had the most, um, you know, touching and remarkable period of mourning uh, for her. And people have probably had a Um, enough of it now because it here in the UK it lasted about 12 days and Mm. and it was more or less just wall to wall. Um, But she was a remarkable lady and uh, I think she deserved the attention uh, that she received um, because as a head of state, um, you know, she was uh, almost unique in her ability and her length of service and uh, her knowledge and um, she knows just uh, incredible lady um so this is of course uh, Windsor castle we flew past it every time we did an approach uh, on the easterly runways at heathrow because generally speaking we only ever land on nine left which is very close to Windsor castle so uh you know this was one uh, lovely day when i was uh, making a morning approach and uh uh perfectly safely, we took a picture out of the side window of Windsor Castle as we went by. And um, the... I'm going to try and duck down a bit. Ah, the chapel the is at the... Yeah, <laughs> it's at the top of Windsor, <laughs> there, um, where she now uh, rests. And um, there you go. And there's the lovely Round Tower. Mm. And, um, you know, you, you all saw it all on TV, the... Um, Uh, It uh, it was, you know, her much-loved home when she was down south, of course. And uh, she passed away when she was up in Balmoral, which was her Scottish uh, residence and is the most lovely old castle up there in the Highlands. And uh, she loved it out there because it was so remote and she had a real love of uh, nature and the countryside uh so you know, there was you know, some very touching moments during uh the movement of the coffin from there down south and then the uh taking it on a gun carriage uh through london uh, to sit in state where for 4 days uh, where the public were allowed to stream through and and pay their respects and then uh, finally bringing her uh to Westminster where uh, they had the final service and uh, from then the coffin was uh, moved up to uh, Windsor here where it was uh, laid in the crypt um, and uh, has now joined her husband and mother and father in the family vaults, the family crypt there. So it was all very touching and all very moving for those of us who are fans of the monarchy. And I quite understand not everyone is, uh, particularly those that have uh, shook off uh, the reins of uh, British um, rule uh, hundreds of years ago. <laughs> now, huh. But mm-hmm. I, regardless, I think yeah. a lot of people respected <laughs> uh, her as a lady of um, a great political and um, a great... Um, Skill in the worlds that she lived in of speaking to other heads of state, etc., and offering advice where um, it was perhaps needed. Uh, so anyway, we we love her. We now have a new king who uh, um, became king the the on the instant of her passing, uh, and he is uh, King Charles the uh, Third in, in his well into his seventies, uh, Charles. So. Uh, you know, he's not going to have nearly as long a reign, but there standing in the wings is uh, William, uh, who will become uh, the Prince of Wales. And, um, you know, they, the the wheel moves on. So uh, we'll, we've still got our beloved royalty in charge. Uh, and, um, you know, it's just been one of those moments in our lives because, you know, uh, she was a monarch when uh, I was born. So uh, I'm going, wow, you know, that's uh, the only monarch I've known. And, of course, when you get commissioned as an officer in the military, you receive your commission and it is signed by the Queen. Uh, and for me, it was a permanent commission, so it was one, I wasn't on a short service um, System. So, uh, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I realized that I left the service, but as far as I'm concerned, I still hold the Queen's Commission and, and I will do in my heart forevermore. But uh, I was her man and um, felt, you know, I had her crown on my wings um, that I wore in the Royal Air Force, a different shape to a King's crown. So you can always tell um, the difference. Uh, and um, th- there are very few pilots still alive, with a king's crown on their wings. My father would have been one of them, but sadly he's gone. Um, but now we will start issuing wings and uniforms with a king's crown because we have a new one. It's interesting change. So, uh, And just today his royal cipher was uh, um, published. So, you know, it used to be E2R and now it's C3R so interesting interesting thing but that wasn't the anything that happened that was certainly one of the main events in my country Wait,
3: before but before um, you before you move on
4: yeah jeff,
1: jeff you're muted you're
3: muted
4: oh you've gone all quiet jeff you're Hang waving on. your finger at me i'm sorry uh, <laughs> how embarrassing you want me to stop
5: no you're muted you're, you're so quiet i know <laughs> oh he knows yes okay.
3: you're muted
4: is Jeff just having fun with us or what? I,
3: well, I, I, I thought he was. But. All those brilliant things I was saying. And you missed so many just... I don't think I could possibly repeat. Because you were muted. I know. I'm sorry. I never use the mute function in StreamYard except just a few moments just then. Just you
4: want to mute people.
3: Yeah. And I'm never going to do it again either. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was going to stop you from moving on because I want to say that um, the... Uh, you know you you mentioned uh you know throwing off the reins of uh of the monarchy and everything else uh and and of course you were alluding to the uh the United States of America um but and i think you you probably know this i know that uh, liz does as well that we the citizens of the United States have an Really strong interest uh, and fascination, fascination with the whole monarchy and and everything, and they and and the media especially here, and uh, they they pay close attention to all these things. And I, because I love music, especially traditional music, was just blown away at the beauty of the uh, of the uh, well. It wasn't even the funeral; it was just the uh, a service at the. Uh, at the oh, Saint, Saint Paul's, Saint Paul's, Saint Paul's. Uh, Cathedral, yeah. and the singing was just amazing, and the organ playing, and the, and everybody in the in the uh, congregation singing, and it was just just a beautiful thing. It really touched touched me. And the interesting thing is, I didn't, I never realized that small little detail that you just talked about with the queen's crown and king's crown on your wings. I mean, I would never have known that. That's the first I've heard of this. So that that's No it all
4: changes yeah, absolutely the the queen's crown is uh, is rounded whereas the king's crown comes to a uh a sort of a point uh at the top so they're quite easy to tell under whose reign a pilot was awarded his wings um so yeah there's you know there's also sorts of those little things that uh that change when uh, the monarch Royal changes trivia. so um you know we'll we'll see the changes they'll be they'll slow they'll move in mm-hmm. but uh, all the tailors are busily I'm, I've no doubt are busily uh, making sure they've got a supply of all the right uh, equipment to give the new military who are now joining the service uh, under um, uh, King Charles the third
3: and during all of this it, it forced me to look back on my well basically lack of historical knowledge of the Queen and her reign, and she was so young when she became Queen. Um, and then I've stumbled upon this uh, broadcast that she made. It was a, uh, not the first time that she had made a Christmas broadcast but, uh, or address to the, uh, to the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth, uh, but this is the first Christmas TV broadcast. And I read through this and I'm thinking, man, do we need somebody like this uh, again (laughs) to say these words. Um, And she's basically saying that it's possible for some of you to see me today as just another example of the speed at which things are changing all around us. Again, this was in, uh, what year was this? Uh, December 25th, uh, 1957, uh, the year before I was born. Um, And uh, because of these changes, I'm not surprised that many people feel lost and unable to decide what to hold on to, and what to discard. And this kind of is kind of rings true with what we're going through right now, um, as far as the monarchy is concerned. Uh, how to take advantage of the new life without losing the best of the old. So he's just talking about these new these new um, technologies that we're experiencing, but it's not the new inventions which are the difficulty. The trouble is caused by unthinking people who cares, carelessly throw away ageless ideals as if they were old and outworn machinery. Uh, They would have. uh, So anyway, she goes on uh, at this critical moment in in our history, we will certainly lose the trust and respect of the world if we just abandon those fundamental principles which guided the men and women who built the greatness of this country and commonwealth. Anyway, so it's I'll try to uh, include a link, if I remember, in the show notes of this amazing uh, Christmas um, broadcast, Christmas TV broadcast in 1957. Anyway, so I just wanted to yeah, kind of Wise say words something.
4: from such a young lady. Because mm-hmm. uh, she really was young uh, mm-hmm. in the very early 20s when she took the throne. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, this is the sort of thing that set her up to be the admired person she is now. So, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to miss
3: her. Yeah, okay. So what that's... What else has Nick been doing? Yeah, what else have you been up to... Uh, Nick,
4: Yeah, so that's been the kind of background uh, of while I was away. I um, dived away for uh, a week. That's why I missed a show, so my apologies for that, of course. But we went down to uh, Camber Sands, which is just a lovely beach area. Uh, not a salubrious spot at all, but um, pleasant enough. And uh, had a week away down there, and just relaxing. And then uh, came back and... Um, was it? No, it was the day before we left. I, I got, a few days before I'd been contacted by uh, uh, Stefan Balmer, who uh, you've met, and I know he's uh, bumped into Dana in his uh, worldwide travels. Um, he's a fascinating bloke. Anyway, he said he's, he's been down in Cardiff and he was on his way to London to fly uh away and uh he wondered if he could sort of pop in and say hello so uh, well, that's actually really nice of him so we decided to grab a meal together at a local pub and uh what a fantastic bloke fascinating bloke uh stefan is um he's a physicist you know we only get the highest class of listener
3: <laughs> exactly
4: but uh, in this case it's it's very true uh, he's physicist who uh, studies gravitational waves uh, and he tried to explain it to me and I did my best to understand, but I'm going to get all this all wrong. So my apologies, uh, Stefan. Um, He works with equipment um, that effectively are a pair of uh, lasers that fire through underground chambers about two and a half miles long. And there are two of them at right angles to each other. And as gravitational waves pass through these lasers, they minutely change the, I guess it's the frequency of the the lasers, which are very highly calibrated. Um, and they can measure the intensity of, uh, and I guess work out um, where where these gravitational waves, what they are and where they're from. He said uh, the sort of ones they were looking for were from pulsars, but uh, actually it's more common to have a kind of pair of black holes that are rotating around each other. They send out big ones and they've discovered they're much more common. But, I mean, uh, he, he did his best to explain in layman's terms to me what was going on, but I was just, you know, in awe <laughs> of his intellect. What a fantastic play. So we had a lovely meal together uh, at the Deer's Hut and recorded a bit of audio. So uh, perhaps uh, it would be appropriate to play that, if that's all right.
3: Yeah. Am I supposed to play that? I don't know. I, I put it in uh, F- <laughs> <and you>? <laughs> Yes. I didn't even know. I didn't even see it. Oh, there, look, <laughs> St- Stefan Bal- Balmer. As if by magic. Okay, yeah. So, here we go.
4: Hello, Jeff. It's uh, Captain Nick here, and I'm uh, outside the deer's hut. It's a bit noisy inside to chit-chat, but I'm here with the lovely Stefan, who uh, is on his way uh, back to London, and he uh, called by uh, and wanted to meet so we uh, dragged him down to one of our local pubs, and uh, bought him a meal. And now <laughs> we're going to make him sing for his supper. So, oh, Stefan, good luck you, with that. <laughs> Stephen, what are you doing in this country?
6: Yeah, hey, 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 everybody! ABT crew, first of all. Yeah, I I was here for a week at a conference, professional conference, and looked at a map and figured, hey, I got a Friday evening why don't I send out an email? And guess what? Here I am. So <laughs> that's the lengths I have to go to because, you know, Jeff and Dana used to fly into Syracuse, but they don't show up anymore. Now they created up to bigger airplanes. So. Well, that's no good, is it? <laughs> it's no good at all. Yeah. No, absolutely <laughs> not.
4: So just to explain to our listeners what you were doing in this country, because it's fascinating. I have a Thing about physics, I, you know, I listen to uh, some of the podcasts, I don't understand much, but I'm intrigued to know what it is you've been talking about for the last few days. Yeah,
6: so I'm a gravitational wave uh, physicist. I work uh, with the LIGO Gravitational Wave Observatory. These are, in one sentence, large kilometer-scale laser facilities that measure fluctuations in space-time caused by black holes colliding wow (laughs) it sounds like just a a salad of fancy words doesn't it (laughs) it it sounds absolutely
4: fantastic i wish my job, job description was halfway as good as that so that has been uh your job for how long
6: well yeah i i've been with the project for over 20 years now and you know, way before we started actually seeing stuff. So yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I love this job. There's no question about it. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it also pays for flying. So that's perfect.
4: <laughs> yes, of course. The real reason we're here is not to that's discuss right. <laughs> discovering gravitational waves as they pass uh, through the Earth, uh, being measured by minute deflections in the frequency of these laser beams but actually more importantly you're
6: a pilot i am yes i'm a pilot i'm an instructor uh, instrument instructor i've never done this professionally it's just all for the love of flying and really the instructor ratings i just did because i wanted to give
4: uh, to the next generation again it's just for the love of it yeah well, that's a very good thing to do. I, I love that. But more importantly, you are building your own aircraft right now. That's right. There's too much time during a pandemic, and what do
6: you do? You start building your own airplane. Yeah, so we're we're about, what is it, seven months into the build of an RV-14A, Vans Aircraft uh, Kit, and... Uh, the only question I have is, why didn't I start earlier in my life? <laughs> I absolutely love it. Uh, it's, it's a fulfilling thing to do. and I'm, The only thing is, I need to finish it so I can fly it.
4: <laughs> I, I, well, I'm sure the motivation is there. Because oh, yeah. uh, when you get it all done, it's going to be marvelous, that first flight. I'm looking forward to it. There's no question. Yeah. No. So that that's in Syracuse in the
6: United States but you're originally from Switzerland. That's right. I grew up in Switzerland and actually did my first pilot rating was in Switzerland uh back when I was 17 here.
4: Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and paid for by the Swiss military. Two thirds
6: of the of the cost was done by the Swiss military and then they figured out my eyes are not good enough. But...
0: Oh <laughs> damn. Otherwise
4: you could be an F18 pilot like me. That's right. <laughs> there I go. <laughs> Well, I think your job is much more interesting, if you don't mind so me saying sure, yeah. I was fascinated listening to you and talking to you about it, even though most of it went clean over my head. The one thing I did understand was you're a pilot, and you have a love of flying, and uh, you started listening to the show uh, for <laughs> what I consider to be quite an odd reason. Yeah, yes. Yeah. so
6: I was, at the time of summer, I spent in Japan, and My Japanese is just not good enough to listen for an hour of drive to the observatory, just to the Japanese radio. So I needed to listen to something for like 10 hours every week... And so I literally Googled for Long Aviation Podcast.
4: And what you know, here I am. (laughs) I think that's absolutely brilliant. Well, Jeff, uh, we've consumed probably enough time here from uh, Stefan and myself. And back to you and the Long Aviation Podcast.
6: Yes, and put, put Syracuse back on your destination list. Oh, absolutely, yes. And
4: thank you very much indeed, Stefan. Absolutely.
3: So... Longer is better, apparently.
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you only have to ask the ladies. By the way, if you go back to that last image, uh, that's uh, a free house. So if anyone needs a house, oh. uh, they can have that for free. Wow, uh, a free house! Oh, nice. I'm in the market. Yeah. Oh, well, there you <laughs> the go. It's it, it near Liphook uh, in England, but um, you know, it <laughs> well, says it's free. As long as you so don't mind all the deer
3: that are exactly. living there as well.
5: Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah uh, that's true. It's, it's a bit smelly, but. um well, no, well, so, actually, the,
5: yeah. Uh, I was just going to say is anybody else concerned with him, like, you know, imploding the Earth with his black holes in this underground tunnel that he? Well, luckily,
4: he's, he's, he's not through. making the black holes. He's just oh, okay. measuring the gravitational <laughs> oh, just results okay, just of measuring. them. So, uh, right. sure about okay. That? Okay. yeah. It's not like the Hadron Collider where they mm-hmm. whizz around and everyone was terrified they were going. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> We're well, going right. to create a small sun or something down under the earth. Uh, okay, well, nah, i sleep better. He, I, I, I'm always uh, amazed when I meet someone of his intellect, and it doesn't happen very often because they're rare people. Uh, and uh, you can just tell that there's so much going on inside uh, the, his head, uh, and he can actually... You know, express it in a certain way, but eventually, of course, it's just going to go clean over the rest of our uh, intellect and um, uh, we will get lost. So uh, it was lovely meeting you, Stefan. He's a, ever such a nice bloke, uh, and I'm no doubt a fine instructor um, because he has a great way of communicating. So uh, it was a pleasure, and thanks very much indeed for making the effort to uh, pop in, Stefan. Oh, and and I didn't buy the meal, by the way. Stefan insisted on paying, so uh, thank you,
3: Stefan. He is a prince of a man.
4: He is absolutely, and that's been about my uh, my two or three weeks, actually. I thinks. hall boxes uh, wants to know bye. if
1: Nick had a good that's birthday. That's it, all covered. Oh, oh did you have some a good pictures, birthday, by
4: the way, from the RAF memorial, Battle of Britain memorial, which mm-hmm. I'll have ready for the next
3: show. Okay, and I hall Boxes is wondering if you had a happy birthday.
4: Uh, it like. was i'll <laughs> tell you our ear boxes is is an absolute classic isn't it uh, i needed a new pair of um decent earphones for uh, to wireless ones to listen to podcasts and uh, audio books and things so my lovely wife bought me a set of bose ones mm. and um tomorrow i've got an appointment to uh, see an audiologist to get hearing aids <laughs> so, so you can't wear them together oh you, know, you can only have one set of things in your ear at uh. a time, so I'm thinking that was bad timing <laughs>
5: uh, yeah, that's, ah, that's
3: unfortunate. just use the Bose yeah, well. in ear wireless things as your q c yeah they they
4: they they they're they're, 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 they're noise cancelling very nice, lovely choice hmm. um uh, I, I I promise I didn't send her the link that <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> yeah we saw that wink
1: hand. hand, hand. <laughs>
4: yeah, very, very good no, no tomorrow i'm afraid i'm i'm going to probably end up cuz i've had a hearing test and uh i've got a sharp decline in certain frequencies with <laughs> about 95% of them <laughs> mm-hmm.
3: yeah i know what you so, mean uh, yeah there yeah. was a cricket in my um basement where I, i've been sleeping and um <laughs> If I sleep on on my left ear, on the left side of my head, I can hear it loud and clear. But if I shift to the other ear down and the left ear up and open, I don't hear it at all. <laughs> I'm thinking, wait a minute. How does it know which way I'm doing my head? <laughs> you sure it's not faking you out? It could be. <laughs>
4: I saved that Some little of cricket's are quite smart. I've, se- I've seen the movie. <laughs> I've seen Pinocchio. Yeah. I know all about those crickets. could be.
3: Could be. Well anyway, uh spe- Speaking of Prince of Men, uh we have the Princess of Men here, Stephen Ivey. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh <I think> so. <laughs> <laughs> how have you how have you been, Stephen? Now just quickly Uh, Stephen and I have known each other for quite some, and many people in the uh, uh, community know Stephen Ivey, and uh, Stephen asked uh, a couple of years ago if uh, he knew that I wasn't doing a thing, because uh, my airplane had just been retired in 2019, and was it 2019 or 2020? 2020.
5: 2019, 2020. Something like that. Anyway,
3: I was not actively flying at the time, and he said, hey, you want to... You know, go on a road trip with me because I need to take my car out to Southern California. And we did a series of uh, road trip audios, and I'll hopefully remember to put a link right here uh, of the uh, series of road trip audios that we made on our way out from Atlanta to the West Coast. And it was a, a very memorable trip and uh, really was honored that you asked asked me to be your co-pilot uh, flying or not flying, driving, so at times flying, uh, <laughs> yes. out to uh, California. So, anyway, um, so Stephen has you have a long history in aviation, starting with or was it starting as a flight attendant?
5: Yeah, I I, I worked for ASA for um, nine nine almost a year nine months almost a year back in mm-hmm. twenty eleven, and um, the whole time I had everybody telling me that I needed to go be a pilot. So, um, I worked on that and I, um, got hired on with the power company here and, uh, an engineer my, uh, bonus, uh, project controls guy. Okay. To, but you have a enge- local-
3: engineering degree, right?
5: No. Uh, oh, I thought you had degree.
3: an engineering degree. Okay. No,
5: uh, no, no. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, yeah, I took my bonus check from there. get got my private pilots, um, certificate. And then, uh, every year after year I got my yearly bonus from them, I go do the next thing. So I'm instrument writing my commercial, um, bought a couple of airplanes while I was there. And, um, one day I, um, got told that I was going to get moved to a position I really didn't care to be in. And I decided that I was going to go fly for a living. So, um, I found a survey job, to, uh, do an aerial survey, did that for about nine months. And then, um, after I got my hours in, I went over to SkyWest uh, sky West and, um, I was there up until uh, about uh, March of this year, actually.
3: And then what happened?
5: Well, uh, in between here and then, uh, we had a pandemic. uh, And then I got a desk job with, um, I guess I can talk about now, I got a desk job with Lockheed Martin out in um, California at the Skunk Works. Um, I worked for the um, facilities engineering group out there, doing the same thing I did for the power company, doing project controls type work um st- still flying uh matter of fact i'd actually looked because i had to turn in some hours um for some stuff and i only flew 125 hours in 2020 just to uh, <laughs> give you an idea of how slow things were um but i also uh managed to um meet my wife while i was out there <laughs> so um i met her and then uh, we both
0: Woo-hoo. um yeah woo.
5: Um, <laughs> we, uh, I, I moved back to Georgia in February of 2021 and then she moved out here in September and then, uh, we got married this past December. Um, Jeff then was at the wedding as well as, uh, Carlos. He actually DJed the w- wedding for us. That was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so having, uh, now been married and having two jobs and as well as a third with my wife's job, we kind of, um, had to make a decision on what I was going to do with everything. And um, I um, decided that I wanted to fly uh, still. So um, I put my upgrade in at SkyWest. But I had also um, applied for a 135 operator. Um, and the reason being behind it was the quality of life was a lot better than what I was getting at SkyWest. Um, I was commuting up to Chicago. Riding the jump seat a lot. Um, just not having a great time with the trips I got. And um, I just c- kind of burnt out from the regional world. Um, I I just um, had a lot of issues with the company, with the staffing. I had a lot of trips that I didn't have a captain on, so they were all delayed. And then just really it was the commute that was getting to me. Um, I, I was having to... Um, go up the day before the trip started and then sometimes um really struggling to get home on the last day. So um I decided to go with this one thirty five operator, uh, mostly because they are uh pay for my commute back and forth. It's on the airline. Um I get the airline points, I get my hotel points, um they pay for my meals and then um I'm gone for um eight days, then I'm home for seven and go back out again. Um and then I got the airplane I wanted to. I'm in the um, Challenger 300 series, um, which is um, the newer version of the Challenger 601 series, which is what CRJ is based off of. Has the same FMS um, avionics system as the RJ did, so it was a really super easy transition. Um, but I've, I've been there for I guess coming up on six months now, and um, other than that. Um, my wife's gotten me into working out every day. I was actually went to the doctor today for my physical, and I, I had lost a lot of weight and was doing good. Besides that, and um, we've got a um, little one on the way too. They're due in um, March of uh, next year. Oh, so.
3: awesome! Congratulations! Congratulations! Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's that's great. Okay. Yeah, that's the first time I'd. Really heard your, you know, it's been a while since we've got, been able to get together, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, to, to hear about all that. So that's uh, cool that you're able to share. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, all right. Very good. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for being here. It was a, kind of just a last minute thing. I had been uh, yeah. one of our uh, pieces of audio feed, I mean, pieces of feedback. Um, involve some uh, request for advice. And I'm thinking, well, I don't really know what kind of advice to give this person uh, who wants to remain anonymous. So I I reached out to Stephen to uh, uh, perhaps, um, you know, help with uh, advice to this person. And uh, we were planning on playing the audio feedback that Stephen had recorded. Uh, thank you, Stephen, for taking the time out to do that. And then yeah. uh, just before the show, about an hour before the show or so, he said, hey, do you need, do you need any more hosts? And I said, well, are you interested? And he said, yeah. Went, All right. Well, then you can do, instead of playing the recorded audio that you made, uh, we'll just hear your advice live during the feedback section. So,
1: Your cover art, your fabulous cover art? My cover
3: art. Cover art oh, yeah. <laughs> this. Now. I mean, you know, usually you see these pieces of junk that uh, Nick comes up with, and <laughs> I'm thinking, well, elaborate, pieces yeah, elaborate pieces of, of junk. yeah, elaborate. Pieces
4: I, I'm ashamed <laughs> by know. this. Well, I knew this would make you feel piece bad. Of <laughs> artwork. Well, okay. I particularly like the color of purple that you've used to smudge out Larry's. No, Sermet. I did not
3: do that. Oh, that, that was in the original <laughs> no. image. That was not my doing. That. Uh, what do you call uh, it? Are you Redacted? sure about no, that? I'm, no, I'm positive. Yeah. I did not do that. <laughs> I can witness that. It's um, very good. Yeah, so that was one of our um, pieces feedback, of uh, feedback that we had on a previous show, or on that show, actually. And so and we were talking about this, uh, the, the little business card that uh, this private pilot hands out to pilots um, of flights that he's on. And then the other uh, there was another backup pilot thing that we were that was related it was kind of a, a little bit different but it was it was, it
1: was backing up backing, backing the plane up oh that's and right it, backing up reversing
3: the 757 <laughs> yeah the the uh 757 uh popping in in reverse uh to uh you know make complete the turn and make that midfield of um, turn off so yeah a play of words thank you liz um backup pilot and you know it's i was beat by the time i finished Editing and everything else, and I think, <laughs> yeah. oh gosh, I gotta do the, <laughs> I gotta do the artwork now too. Well, that's yeah. why I love taking it off your hands. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do appreciate it. I really do. And yes, now one of the things that Nick uh, prides himself on is uh, he'll he'll uh, s- s- subtly include the um, the name and, and number, um, or not name, but the uh, the the number of the podcast. In the artwork, and I thought it was pretty clever the way that I just subtly um, put it in this piece of artwork. uh,
4: Yeah, it's a real challenge finding it, Jeff. (laughs) Well,
3: thank you. It was a struggle. Real struggle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so many things in my life are a struggle, so sorry. Thank God, Nick's (laughs) back. Anyway, yeah, we're very happy that Nick is back to do that wonderful artwork he always does. (sighs) Anyway, so yeah. Coffee Fund. Coffee Fund. Yes, ma'am. Here we go. And we play this from Jeff Smith. Johnny, how much more
1: coffee? Go thanks!
3: I love coffee, I love tea, I love the APG community. Coffee and tea, and the job and me. And cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Yeah, you're getting better and better, Liz. I know. <laughs> uh, Coffee Fund. It's your way to, uh, to support the show financially if you have the means to do so. And a couple of different ways to do that. One is called the Coffee Fund Classic Method, the OG way of donating to the show. And we do have some recurring uh, donators, uh, contributors uh, there, uh, but we've decided that we we're just going to Talk about the people that uh, do the one-offs every now and then. Um, so uh, we don't—we didn't have anybody take advantage of that. You know, it's a, it's a feature, um, but we do have some new patrons at Patreon.com. The other way that you can support the show financially. And since the last episode, we have a new producer, Erbium, Erbium, I think. I'm not sure. And Erbium, yeah. Uh, a new executive producer chris gilbertson so uh, thank you both of you for signing up to become a patron of the show uh, via patreon.com so uh, you might want to check that out by going to airlinepilotguy.com coffee you'll be de- uh, glad you did and we will too oh i want to also mention that uh, one of the perks of being a contributor to the show and part of our coffee fund cadre is uh, that uh, periodically uh, I will uh, I and other uh, co-hosts will put out or publish uh, crew logs and Nick Camacho uh, did one yesterday that we just put up there uh, for uh, the patrons to listen to if you want to hear some of the behind the scenes stuff happening with the uh, the show and with the crew so please consider Joining this great group of people and uh, becoming part of our coffee bar club or coffee fun cadre. All right, it's time for some feedback.
5: Captain, incoming message.
3: Okay, the first item in our feedback for today's show is from Tim Qualls. Um, I made it. He says, greetings to all. You'll recall that I had a meetup with uh, Tim as he was on his way from Arkansas to Darlington, South Carolina for a NASCAR race. Uh, I'm sorry, Arkansas.
4: I've heard of Arkansas. Where's Arkansas?
3: (laughs) (laughs) He says, greetings to all. Uh, I made it back home in record time, 13 hours. I say record time, but it's the only time I've made that drive. But I still think it counts. Yeah, it's some sort of a record for you. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Was she going in reverse or something? (laughs) Well, it is a long trip, you know, going from Arkansas uh, through probably a part of Tennessee and Mississippi and Alabama and Georgia, and then finally South Carolina, it's a bunch of states. Anyway. Okay. So maybe it's not as fast as the planes that that may soon be flying over my house. After hearing the feedback recently about the sonic booms over Oklahoma City, you can imagine my surprise when I got this week's newspaper and saw the headline, Proposed training center could mean noisy skies for Montgomery County. Uh, Ebbing Air National Guard Base in Fort Smith was chosen as the top pick for a new foreign military sales pilot training center within the continental U.S. for F-16s and F-35s. The local paper says, that three of the training areas to be used would include airspace over parts of montgomery county most of the county could possibly be affected by noise pollution resulting from sonic booms created during training exercises i'm including a link to another article not the one from my paper because it appears that we don't have that newfangled technology that puts articles on the interwebs (laughs) so this is from i object
4: uh, to one of the words in that last sentence but one Hmm. It shouldn't be noise pollution. It should be noise excitement.
3: Yeah, no kidding. Noise pollution. Yeah. 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 Um, Anyway, the article's from the SW Times, and it's been a long time since we've had fighters flying over here. I think the last ones were the A-10s, so it'll be nice to see them in the skies again. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, you're not going to get sonic booms (laughs) from the (laughs) A-10s. Nope. More
4: close. That's exactly right.
3: (laughs) Although... You will hear big booming noises or buzzing noises, right? When that gun fires. Rat.
4: Yes. yes. Oh. Right. <laughs> That's very good. Was that the cat? <laughs> no,
0: that was me,
4: actually.
3: <laughs> yeah, try to keep it inside, would you? Um, oh, sorry. Anyway, Tim says, keep up the great work. Uh, it seems I'm more wordy in writing than on a recording. I like it. Uh, thank you, uh, Tim. And again, the... Uh, the article from the uh, SW Times. Not sure what that stands for. Maybe Southwest Times. dot uh, com F sixteen Pilot Training Center coming to Ebbing Air National Guard Base. I'm not going to read it to you, but um, basically uh, they're going to be out there in uh, Arkansas and uh, making sonic booms possibly over the uh, over the country skies. Uh, yeah. So thank you for alerting us to that news. And great to hear yeah, from you. it must be time.
4: exciting for some people. Some others will go,
3: yeah.
4: oh, no, can't have that. No. Uh, there you go. Mm-hmm. Got to train somewhere.
3: Yep. All right, some uh, audio feedback from Marcus Duncan. Um, and I think he's requesting some tips for becoming a commercial pilot.
5: Hi guys, it's Marcus from Dundee, Scotland, a student pilot, and I'm just about to go solo for the first time in my PPL. Uh, I've been listening to the show for a wee while now, and I thought I'd message in and ask what you guys' top tips were for someone who's wanting to move into the world of commercial aviation as a professional pilot. Uh, I've often found that um, tips from experienced pilots is often what leads to the best results, so I was hoping you guys could tell me some. Okay. Thank you very much. Cheers. Okay. Um,
3: hmm. I think the most, the person that has most recent experience with um, becoming an, a, a commercial pilot is Steven. Uh, do you have any tips for Marcus?
5: Save your money. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <Save your money. laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly though. Yeah. That, that is one thing. Sa- save your money. If you're wanting to become one. Oh um, yeah.
4: I've got a tip that'll help you do it very cheaply.
5: Oh, is it? Is it starting, uh, uh, what, what's that?
4: Join the military.
5: Oh, yeah, th- that'll do it.
4: Uh, it's not the yeah. easiest thing to do necessarily, because in the UK it's shrunk so much, but, geez, you'll get everything for free. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: They'll pay you. They will. Yeah, um, exactly. But, yeah, I mean, I think one thing is just do your research. Um, as Nick said, you could join the military. Um, you could do what I did and spend your money, your bonus checks, if you happen to have one of those and use it towards your training, you can get a second job to help it. Um, you can go look for scholarships. Um, you can also do ab programs. I think a lot of carriers in, the, uh, uh, in Europe do that. Um, there's a bunch of different ways you could go about it. I just think you need to go research out what you would like to do. And another thing is just... Um, kind of figure out the path you want to go on and what you're really wanting to do as far as do you want to actually fly airlines? Do you want to fly cargo? Do you want to fly charter? Um, Because they all, um, well, at least here in the States, there's a little bit different, our requirements for 135 operations versus 121. Um, I'm sure there's a little difference over in the uh, Europe and the UK as well. But just go do your research, look online, go through the forums, look what you're wanting to do um and then just make a plan and stick to it um yeah that that's a, a big issue is learning how to speak the <laughs> Tim Van English, or the King's English. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the biggest challenge
3: the hornets nest there. <laughs> the biggest yeah. challenge this is Tim Van Ram's comment in the live audience uh the biggest challenge for a Scott to become a commercial pilot is having to learn to speak English <laughs>
4: Yeah, that, okay. uh, please note that he lives in California, this place. Jim Van so, Ram's uh...
5: email is... Um,
4: I feel sorry for you, Duncan, having to put up with insults from halfway around the world. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, By the way, I, Duncan, I, I know that area quite well, having served for about 10 years at Lucas, just down the road from Dundee. Uh, I accidentally bombed through... Uh, um, the Dundee Airport's uh, control zone a few times. <laughs> <bombed> the city. <laughs> Apologies for that, but it would have been well before your time. So don't you should, worry. You should and be I'm careful. I'm no longer flying about
3: your terms, uh, Captain Nick. You bombed. Something oh, over I? there in Scotland? <laughs> yes, probably. That's not good. Probably. Could start a war. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but um, no, I was actually
4: uh, quite serious about uh, the advice I got when I tried to get into aviation when it was very quiet was join the military. But, um, you know, um, the other way, of course, is, uh, as Stephen says, you could you could try and find someone who's going to donate 100000 Pounds to your aviation fund and do an approved course, or you could um, you know try and gain the hours and work it up, become a, a, an assistant flying instructor, flying instructor, uh, and um, then you know you're halfway there uh, because now you're actually getting a little bit of money while you're building your hours. Uh, and uh, pilots are needed. I mean, not perhaps. The demand isn't quite as good in Europe as it is in the States, but uh, there are avenues. Uh, I, I Don't forget, there's a lot of people out there who are interested in getting your money, um, and uh, a lot of these um, courses that you might be lured into or tempted to start for a multi-crew, uh, and I can't even remember what they're called now, um, it's such a new concept for me because it didn't exist when I the, did all my training.
5: The ATPL stuff.
4: Well, yeah. There's, uh, there's. You know, I mean you can get into uh, an airline having done an approved course for yeah. with as little as two hundred and two hundred hours that, yeah. in Europe. Uh, so uh, you know, they, they, but they cost. They cost a lot of money. Yeah. And if yeah, the yeah, airline decides it doesn't want to continue with those courses, and you're halfway through. You're left hanging. You've uh, you lose your money. You've invested your money into, and, a course, that,
5: and you got to pay for your type ratings too, right?
4: Uh, you've got to pay for lots of bits. So yeah. you know, really think hard before you, you, uh, you know, look at the adverts and think, oh, that's that's got to be the way to go. You know, there are there are lots yeah. of other other avenues in there, and speak to people who have recently got into the airlines and asked how they got in and there are quite a number of podcasts where people are actually telling their stories so seek those out and listen to them and uh, gain uh, you know um, learn from their experiences
5: yeah absolutely uh, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say one other thing too i know um, a lot of regional airlines now and even some low-cost carriers um, if you've already got your um, hours and so, if you were to get your commercial over in um, Europe, your ATPL and everything, and let's say you can't get a job with an airline in Europe, they'll actually pay you your for your green card and whatnot, and get you a work visa to come fly for them here in the states too. So that's
4: yeah, that's something that's else, a very good point, Stephen. D- don't be don't be put off by the fact that you might have to up sticks and move to another country. Um, You know, it might seem quite a big thing for someone who perhaps is a home-loving chap. I don't know exactly what your circumstances are, but uh, the the best avenue might be to move to a country where pilots are really needed and where the flying training is inexpensive. So, you know, bear all those things in mind. If you're going to be a pilot, you're going to be flying around the world anyway. So, uh, you know, what does it matter if you do your training uh, in a different country and start off living there
3: okay yeah. um,
5: come to the state so we can give you a 10 gallon hat you can be a cowboy pilot there you, you go Thank and then we can do uh, this yeah, and you right can
3: go, okay you so you it, okay okay. Um, okay so um, Micah in our live audience Says in the USA, a state college or university with an aviation program will be a very inexpensive way to get your pilot's license, as your ground school is included with your tuition. I don't know. Is it? Would you? Would you say, Stephen, that that's an inexpensive no. way? I, I don't.
5: No, nope, so it's, it's not inexpensive at all. My buddy, he went to um, one of those, and he's got about one hundred seventy-five thousand dollars student loans. He's working on paying off from it.
3: Hmm. Ooh, ouch! Yeah. So.
5: I I would say be selective of the one you would go yeah, to. Yeah, there
3: might be yeah, schools that are, yeah. are less expensive, but uh, this whole yeah. aviation thing is, is quite expensive. Um, I, one of the things that you can do to build up time is to, uh, Marcus, uh, is to uh, be a drug runner. And our next piece of feedback um, <laughs> yes. is uh, from... Uh, Brazil, but my tip is I do not recommend that you do this uh, because something like this might happen to you And let me advance here uh, to the appropriate place in this video that was actually taken in Brazil about three years ago and uh, Ian is the one uh, who sent this in so I think I'm gonna start right about here Um, So we're uh, driving down a uh, Country Road, two-lane road, in uh, what looks to be cornfields or some kind of sugarcane, something they grow in there in the fields. And uh, the person doing the recording is uh, doesn't have a good uh, you know, wind, you know, like dead cat or uh, wind muff. You know, here we go. Oh, wow. That hurts. Um, but let me fast forward to the uh, aviation-related part of this. Uh, Maybe this is about where it starts.
4: While you're doing that, apologies to Marcus. I called him Duncan. It's his sir. Oh, okay.
3: Well, he did. He were talking to Okay, let me move. Oh, okay. Here we go. I think we're getting close. Okay, they pass a couple of cars on this this two-lane road. And now they're driving very rapidly down this dirt road. Oh, kind of a single lane, and in the distance, um, there's a pickup truck in the way, some red dirt, dust all around, and now you're going to see the aviation, oh, here's this guy pulled out his (laughs) assault rifle, and uh, oh, 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 there's an airplane, a low-wing, it looks like some kind of a piper, and boom.
5: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wow.
3: <laughs> I took out the w- left was wing. Was that necessary?
5: I mean, was that, that necessary? necessary?
3: <laughs> okay, now guns are drawn. Less of screaming. Pointing guns. Um, oh, yeah, what a friend this guy is. He just left that guy there <laughs> with the airplane uh, occupants. And then he goes on to chase after some other bad guys, I think. Uh, anyway, the, the interesting part here, of course, is the part where. He's just
4: high tailing out of there, going. Oh, that was the wrong airplane.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! Sorry about that. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but it just
4: goes to show all these ridiculous movies you see of vehicles chasing airplanes down the runway, and you know, it's that easy. You just drive down the runway yeah, and look, this is drive just into them. There a, you go. Bomb the
3: wing. Boom. <laughs>
4: <laughs> that airplane ain't going anywhere. Yep.
3: <laughs> Pretty much disabled that airplane. Yep. Isn't that crazy?
4: <laughs> well, That is remarkable.
3: Well, Stephen, you have a lot of uh, you have a lot of uh, experience, experience in uh, GA. Uh, <laughs> have you ever? Has this ever happened to you?
5: <laughs> I've been solicited to fly drugs before. Really? Uh, yes, I have. I, I declined the offer. I felt like it was actually a little cheap. I thought five grand was uh, not a lot of money for. for the risk no, he would and have wow. done
3: it if they'd offer you to more
4: <laughs> well i was gonna <laughs> say five grand versus 25 years in prison
5: I, well, well it's only if you get caught. that's the thing <laughs> but, um no i uh no i i don't think i've ever would have done this before i've actually um i flew into um I forgot the name of the island out in the Bahamas, but where uh, Pablo ran his drugs through the Florida, I flew into there on charter um, hmm. the other month. And it was, you you could just see the planes littered in the water from crashing, from being overloaded and everything. There were a bunch of uh, like Apaches and single engine airplanes in the water. So hmm. I, I i i do not believe this would be a good way to build your time. Build your time, no. Uh, Probably not. Yeah, yeah. I would also advise you if you were looking for like, you know odd very pilot type jobs anything that goes south of the border you should probably really really investigate who you're delivering to before you uh, do it
3: <laughs> interesting yeah
5: interesting
3: okay let's skip to uh feedback 15 since we're talking about opportunities and colleges and 15, schooling is number nine uh, number nine. Oh, oh i'm sorry uh hang on let me Josh? uh yeah I may have used the wrong number. Um, Yes, number nine, which is the same thing in my mind as 15. Okay. Um, So (laughs)
1: Whatever that means.
3: (laughs) I don't know what it means. Hi, APG crew. Junior year in high school has finally started for me. Physics is currently my favorite class as it's related to aerospace engineering and therefore aviation. While my U.S. history course has been making me want to become Canadian. Okay. On the note of aerospace engineering, I've begun to think about my plans after high school and I've decided that I'll give it a go at attending uh, a university with a major in aerospace engineering. I'm considering Georgia Tech in Atlanta, University of Michigan, Ann Arbor near Detroit, among a few others. I personally haven't ever been to Atlanta or Detroit. I think he is in Southern California. Yeah. Um, I haven't been to Atlanta or Detroit, but seeing that the APG crew are pilots, after all, and thus have flown all over this country, I was wondering if anybody would know a thing or two about Atlanta. Hmm. No. Um, I know nothing about it. No. Um, Detroit or any of the said universities. Once again, thank you all, as always, for doing the podcast weekly. It educates, entertains, and keeps me sane wishing the, clue, the crew clear skies all around. Tailwinds during cruise... Isn't that and funny?
4: Because we're doing our damnedest to make him insane.
3: I know. <laughs> yeah. no, we haven't gotten to it him yet. It doesn't seem no. to work, does it? No. He's uh, impervious to it, apparently. Um, so I, I do have some personal experience with the Georgia Institute of Technology, or what we like to call it, Georgia Tech in Atlanta. I, I was there my freshman year. You don't call um, it Git? Um, no, we don't call it get. The people um, that went there I get Git. Yeah. And I went there, honestly, a long time ago in the, uh, I guess, the 77, 78 uh, school year. Um, so, you know, well before the turn of the century. But it's a it's an amazing school. And it, uh, it facilitated uh, the feeling in myself that that confidence that I had that I was a smart person, uh, it was uh, completely um, not destroyed. Yeah, it was completely destroyed. Thank you. Um, it, it was uh, an, a, a collection of m- amazingly was, smart it people. Hum, it was a
1: humbling experience. Yeah, it was
3: a very humbly ex- humbling experience. You're right, Liz. Anyway, great uh, aerospace engineering program there. Um, and uh, Auburn University has a great one as well. Uh, Detroit um, University of or Michigan in Ann Arbor is a, a great school as well. They're Cold a huge winters. school. Cold winters, yep. yeah. So keep that in mind, Mr. SoCal. Uh, but uh, they have a great uh, football team there, um, and that's a lot of fun to get involved in that kind of thing when the, during the school year. But um, I don't know. Uh, do you have anything? I know, Nick, you probably have – you know no clue what to say about either of those schools but um how about um how about you stephen
5: um well i um, would also if you're wanting to do aerospace engineering um texas a&m has mm-hmm. a great program yeah um and they also um they're there's really good an internship with lockheed mostly because they're um, out of Fort Worth in mm-hmm. there. So I know it's a lot easier to get some experience that way. Um, I also know uh, Georgia Tech's got a program with Delta for working at the TOC uh, with the uh, mechanics and engineers mm-hmm. down there for working on the aircraft there. Um, Michigan, I I don't really, I, I know Ann Arbor nice, but as far as their program, I don't know that much about it. Well,
1: Laura Davis lives. Um,
5: if you're wanting the kind of some advice on where to live and how to get in, I'd go and tell you College Station, Texas. There's not a lot there other than A and M, and it's kind of out by its. <laughs> out by itself uh but if you want a really good football atmosphere that would be the school to go to because georgia tech just fired their head coach it's the third one in like three years mm. um check itself it's right inside midtown atlanta um it, i mean there's a lot of stuff to do around there but the air, like <laughs> you can literally go to the west side and you don't want to be out at night it's really rough. Um, and then not only that, um, they tend to do a lot of international students. I've heard that it's really hard to get in um, the tech. Um, if you're um, Even in, if you live in the state of Georgia, it's been really hard to get in. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, I can't really think of any. Um, Ambry Riddle, um, oh. I think they've got an aerospace engineering program. That's in Daytona and Phoenix. Um, there's one other really big school that's got a great... In- aerospace program but i can't think of it right now but yeah um yeah I, I would i don't know where you live at now but um i would definitely um it's southern you, california you guys, southern california okay so if that's the case um well uh, if you want, still want that kind of coast-to-the-coast the coast thing, then embry and Daytona would probably be your best bet. If you want to be in town with lots of things to do, Georgia Tech. Um, if you want to play in the snow and have a um, football team that can't decide if they want to win or lose, go to Michigan. And then if you want to be in the middle of nowhere and have a football team that thinks they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, go to A&M. So. <laughs> I've got a huh, okay. suggestion. Yes. Okay.
4: We have uh, an excellent university at Cranfield, which uh, deals with aviation uh, uh, degrees. And, um, of course, the pound has just plummeted against the U.S. dollar, having reached a 50-year low. So it's probably very cheap right now.
3: (laughs) Good point. The exchange rate is very favorable for (laughs) the U.S. dollar. Yeah. You know what, Josh? Um, Just pick out some that have a great reputation for uh, aerospace engineering, and then go visit them. I know it may not be the easiest thing, convenient, um, inexpensive thing to do, but um, that you know, sometimes you pick up a good you know uh, feeling about the flavor of the school uh, by doing that. So,
5: and uh, if you do come to Atlanta to check out tech. Um, I can show you around Atlanta for sure. And I actually, I, I know several Georgia Tech alumni that could probably um, talk to you about the school itself. Um, of course, one's a, he's a, what, what's the really fancy word for the really smart accountants? Like some kind of.
1: Um, Actuary. I've
5: forgotten Actuary. I forgot the word for it. Yeah. He, he does like cryptography and stuff. Like oh. really. Yeah. Forensic the accounting. A <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
4: I was going to say mafia but that's, that's a different kind of accounting.
1: But Jeff just googling yeah. best aeronautical universities, you get a list and it, there's a big variation in the um uh tuition.
3: Okay. Uh if you I'm sure he may have already done this but uh yeah, thank you. Just, just,
0: just as a note.
3: Yeah, uh googling uh aerospace engineering schools uh gives you uh, a list of schools and uh, the the differences in the tuition uh, prices and such as well. So yeah, you know, he's probably already done that, but you know that's know, good advice, just, you know. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so Plaintail time I think that uh, we uh, thank you. I asked Josh because he told us about himself and his journey. I said, make sure you kind of keep us up to date on that. So we hope that. You pick a good school and uh, that you're happy there and that you do well. Um, and now, uh, Control Room is telling me that it is time for this week's installment of the Old Pilot's Plane Tales. The Old Pilot's Plane Tales RAF Form
4: 414, Volume 18 it's May 1987, and I'm on the Australian FA-18 Number 2 Operational Conversion Unit at RAAF Williamtown, starting the final phase on Course 1 of 87, before moving on to Number 77 Squadron, which was to be my home for the next few years. The art of air-to-ground attack is to throw things at the earth and not miss. Newton wasn't a bomber pilot, but, amazingly, he'd already worked out that any particle of matter in the universe attracts any other, with a force varying directly to the product of the masses and inversely to the square of the distance between them. As far as a bomber pilot is concerned, this means that it would be very unlikely that, when you drop something, you would miss clobbering Mother Earth, somewhere at least. This is why, of course, the air-to-ground phase only consisted of 16 trips. After all, how hard could it be? The answer was, in something as sophisticated as the F-A-18, not very. However, for my first attempt, I had to prove that I understood the basic physics of bomb dropping by trying to hit the target in a reversionary mode. That is, without the ballistic computers helping. A bit like Luke Skywalker bullseyeing Womp Rats in Beggar's Canyon with his T-16 back home. He apparently had boasted of a missed distance of less than two metres. So, with Bob Ambler in the back seat insisting that I use the force and switch off my targeting computer... I pickled off my one and only completely manual bomb. The theory was good. At the correct dive angle, with an accurate speed, the appropriate wind allowance, and a steady hand, if the bomb was released at the perfect height above the target, the ballistics should carry it in a perfect arc down to hit it. However... For every knot, every degree, every foot of error, the bomb would follow a different path. In my case, to somewhere so painfully short of the target that the bombing range's triangulating equipment was unable to locate it. Unplottable at six o'clock came the score from the range safety officer. That never seemed to happen to Skywalker. Skywalker. Luckily for me, I was allowed to turn everything back on for the remainder of my time in the Hornet, so never had to admit that the profusion of wump rats that plagued Tatooine was partially down to my ineptitude. We were going around and round in circles over the local air-to-ground range called Saltash that was adjacent to the base, less than four miles away. The weapons we were dropping were little practice bombs called, if my memory serves, BDU-33s. They only weighed 25 pounds, about 11 kgs, but would more or less follow the same trajectory as their larger cousins, the live munitions such as the Mark 82 500 pound and Mark 84 2000 pound weapons in the Australian inventory of the time. In the nose cone of the little practice bomb was a spotting charge that showed as a bright flash and a white cloud of smoke when they hit Terra Firma. In the Hornet, there were generally three ways of aiming bombs, not including the Force. The first was to use the continually computed impact point displayed in the head up display by a line dangling down from the flight path vector with a cross at the bottom. As the name suggests, the cross continually indicates where your bomb will land if you release it at that very moment. The technique was to try and guide the target into your HUD with it tracking down the line. The moment the cross intersected with the target, you pressed the pickle button and then shouted,
0: Duck, you sucker!
4: A second was another visual technique which relied on designating the target. This could be done numerous ways, but on the range, we did it visually through the HUD. On pressing one of the multitude of buttons on the throttle, a diamond would appear, ground stabilised and with a line stretching up. A little ackling of the button left, right, up and down refined the position of the diamond onto the centre of the thermal exhaust port, I mean the target. All that was then required was to fly the aircraft's flight path onto and up the bomb fall line. When it intersected with the small cross line, the release cue. so long as you were holding down the commit switch, the bomb would automatically release. Another technique was to lob the bomb over several miles, which we practised against targets we didn't want to get close to, and that could be tracked by radar, such as ships. Locking the radar to the target produced a display similar to a visually designated target. Once in range, with the release cue visible, a firm pull-up the bomb fall line brought the flight path vector up to the release point, whereupon the bomb would become a fledgling bird and fly the nest on a short and doomed attempt to stay airborne. At the time I flew, we were only given slick bombs to drop, which leads me to a very non-PC Jaguar pilot joke. What's the difference between a Jaguar pilot? There you can actually insert any bomber of your choice and a Mark 82 bomb Not all Mark 82s are retarded. Another might be, what's the difference between a Harrier pilot and a hedgehog? Again, nominate your aircraft, or indeed your spiny creature of choice. A hedgehog, echidna, porcupine, sea urchin, etc. has its pricks on the outside. Getting back to the subject... Dropping a slick bomb, particularly from low level, always presented the danger of it exploding beneath you and destroying your aircraft as well as the target. Retard bombs use a high-drag device known as a balut attached to the rear of the bomb which deploys after release to slow it down, allowing the aircraft to escape the fragmentation zone. Now you know about as much regarding bomb dropping as I did at the time. Luckily, the sophistication of the Hornets' weapon system took care of my ignorance and turned this particular art of war into something akin to a computer game, something we were all quite good at. As a result, it became commonplace to hear the range safety officer declare scores like 2 o'clock at 10 feet. Five o'clock at 20 feet, DH, direct hit, DH, DH. With our academic skills adequately honed, it was time to bolt on some live ordnance and head north to the Royal Australian Air Force Base Townsville for a short detachment. Townsville was, and I'm sure remains, a picturesque city in Queensland, on the coast in between Brisbane and Cairns. Already populated by Aboriginal people, it was settled, sometimes violently, by various groups of colonialists in the 1860s, and it became a productive area of sugarcane plantations. In the 30s, an airfield was established there, which became a military base during World War Two. Townsville was in the tropics, the winter months of which were dominated by the southeast trade winds, bringing fine weather, blue skies, warm days and balmy nights. The flying was exciting as we worked up with formations of low-level overland missions which culminated in a live bomb drop on Cordelia Island, just off the coast. These missions were often opposed by a bounce aircraft that would attack the formation several times as we ran around the route. We spent a lot of time looking for the bounce with radar and visually in case it swung our wing line and was approaching from the rear. It was during these exercises that I began to truly appreciate the sophistication and capability of the Hornet as a multi-role aircraft. Armed with air weapons, it could also carry a pair of wingtip-mounted AIM-9 Mike heat-seeking sidewinders, and a pair of belly-mounted AIM-7 Mike Sparrow radar-guided missiles to defend itself. Having gone through the air-to-air phase, we were well-practiced in engaging other aircraft and facing our formations of two or four Hornets, the bounce was usually neutralised before it became a threat. Indeed, the flexibility of the Hornets' fighting modes came clear during one particular engagement. Our bomb-dropping profiles were often pop attacks, in that we would fly to a point adjacent to the target at low level and then pop up to a predetermined altitude whilst visually acquiring the target, overbank and then pull the target down into the head-up display at the correct dive angle Aim, release the weapon, recover and then dive back down to low level on a safe egress heading. During one of these attacks, on pitching up, the bounce was spotted loitering over the target, hoping to engage us during the egress. The sharp-eyed pilot rolled his thumb forward on the stick, switching to the Hornet's air-to-air mode, locked a sidewinder to the enemy fighter and fired. He then rolled his thumb back to re-engage the air-to-ground mode, reacquire the target, check his attack parameters, and then pitch down into a successful bombing run. Smooth beyond belief. The missions, including a night radar attack, kept us busy, but we had enough time off to enjoy some of the delights of this small, tropical, coastal town just off the Great Barrier Reef and everything it could offer. One of those involved a strange form of local golf played in an attempt to reduce the area of a plague of cane toads. These noxious pests were deliberately introduced to Australia from Hawaii in an attempt to control the voracious cane beetle that was damaging crops. Sadly, in Australia, there were no natural predators facing the cane toad, but plenty of food, most of which didn't actually include the cane beetle, which lives high up on the sugarcane stalks and out of reach. From an initial 102, over the years, the cane toad population exploded to an estimated 200 million wreaking havoc on the ecosystem and causing the extinction of multiple species. From eggs to adults, the cane toads are toxic, having glands on their backs which hold bufotoxin. One lick or bite can kill native animals that might otherwise have kept the numbers down. As a result, there is considerable encouragement to humanely dispatch them wherever they are found. Stunning followed by decapitation is recommended, hence the unusual form of golf played on the lawn outside the mess. Other, more conventional forms of entertainment included white water rafting down the Tully River. With an average annual rainfall of four and a quarter metres, that's 14 feet, The river has an impressive level of flow, which makes rafting through the rapids truly exhilarating. We partook, and all had gone well until our happy band of fighter pilots had been split up to help a group of Japanese ladies paddle along. I took a seat amongst the lovely ladies and then watched with horror as the remainder of our group in their raft took a wrong turn and ran over a waterfall. They were all spilled out of the inverted inflatable and once underwater were caught in a powerful underwater rotating current, a standing wave that pulled them deep into blackness and spun them around like flotsam and jetsam. Once seized to despite their life jackets and desperate attempts to swim clear, they were held underwater for a frightening length of time. One by one they eventually bobbed to the surface and we pulled them into our boats. The looks on their white faces was enough to assure us that the fun had gone out of that day. More to my liking was a day out in a luxury catamaran to swim over the Great Barrier Reef and gaze at the multitude of amazing creatures that lived there. That was stunning, but then a few of us got the chance to do it courtesy of the range safety officer and his team in the range launch. After an hour's high-speed cruising out to the target area, he left us on Rattlesnake Island, about five miles, seven and a half kilometres from the aiming point, the small and sharply protruding Cordelia Island. We lazed on a beach and watched some of our course attack it with 500-pound live bombs. Even at that distance, the noise and shockwaves of those small bombs was mightily impressive. We got a few fly passes from the OC instructors as well, which was brilliant. And then on the final pass of the day, somebody hit the water just short of the target instead of the rock. We were already back on the RSO's boat and we watched the impressive water spout before having boat hooks thrust into our hands. Not wishing to waste the bounty of the sea, we set to collecting the unfortunate fish that had succumbed to the trinitrotoluene and had floated to the surface. The course had taken a mere five months and concluded with my flight back to Willy as RAAF Williamtown was affectionately known. I received a certificate of completion to mark the end of the course and had so far logged 53 hours and 45 minutes of fun in the sun. A few days later, we got dressed up in our best bib and tucker and with our ladies on our arms, attended the formal meal that marked our graduation as Australia's latest Hornet fighter pilots. A week later... I was strolling down the road a couple of hundred yards to join my new squadron, 77, the Grumpy Monkeys. The builders were still there, putting the finishing touches onto the building to accommodate the RAAF's latest aircraft, of which we had one. A-21-5 was the first Hornet airframe to wear the green colours of the squadron. And, of course, we all wanted to play with it. Quite rightly, however, so did the engineers, since their academic training courses hadn't really prepared them for the real thing. As a result, JK, our new squadron commander, arranged for all the pilots to head south to Melbourne and the government aircraft factory at Avalon Airfield. Only the first few F-18s were built in the USA. The rest were constructed at this Australian facility. Having been kept out of the engineer's hair for a few days. On the 16th of July 1987, I climbed into a 77 Squadron Hornet for the first time. For me, it was the start of a fantastic adventure, and I couldn't wait. But more of that next time.
3: Always mesmerizing. (laughs) No, really, that was um, really, I didn't realize that, uh, that little fact that you mentioned at the very end there that uh, most of the hornets were actually um, put together in Australia for your...
4: Yeah, I think that was, uh, you know, one of those political decisions where Mm -hmm. uh, you, like, Get a prefabricated house delivered and you assemble it. So yeah, that I, so you could say it was uh, the,
3: made in in your country.
4: Yeah, that exactly. Mm-hmm. So I don't think there was an awful lot of uh, construction. There was a lot of bolting, <laughs> bolting <laughs> wings on and things, but uh, the uh, uh, the unit there didn't actually do a lot of actual construction but uh, you know it, it I think when you've gonna invest a lot of money in someone else's product to uh, arm your um, forces anything you can do to make it more um, uh, more suitable for the public to understand uh, that the better so uh, but the fact is that it was that they they were you know they were United States Navy aircraft in fact, the Navy bought them and sort of shipped them over basically in bits and uh, the Aussies put them together um, which accounted for the reason why I I had to get the U.S. Navy's permission to fly them because they were kind of on the U.S. Navy's books, uh, you know, despite the fact that they got to the, uh, uh, the Australians. But no doubt about it. The, the Australians made a great decision to buy that airplane. It's a huge country. The uh, the legs of the F-18 weren't quite long enough to make it easy to move around. You know, the F-111s that they had, that aircraft was an enormous range and uh, was well suited to uh, Australia. The F-18 was uh, was a fantastic uh, aircraft But it was more suited to defending the cities rather than going out and doing long range interdiction sort of jobs. But uh, I will go on to describe how the squadron employed the squadrons employed the aircraft, um, which I thought was fascinating. In other words, they basically said, well, we don't have a specific threat. This is not like Europe, where we've got the threat of Russia or the Soviet Union just over the border there, uh, we have no idea who might attack us. So what we're going to do is we're going to train all our crews in every single aspect of uh, attack that uh, this aircraft can perform. So we, we learned how to do absolutely everything with it. Uh, you know there was no restriction on their imagination on what we might, and which led to some really fascinating um tr- exercises that Good we flew for the next and one. uh you know attack missions you know, all be all training but uh, brilliant and it really opened my eyes to every aspect of the hornet uh, uh, the hornet's capability
5: so so Nick and, and maybe it's just because I've been watching a couple of guys tearing apart the Maverick movie and the hornet and everything. You were doing single-seat F-18s, right? You didn't have a Rio in the back, right? Correct. So, so if you can do the bombing with the laser or whatever yourself, what, what was the purpose of the guy in the back, if you were capable of doing it yourself? Was it just to take the load off of them? or Yeah, or? They,
4: they there okay. were missions where uh, one set of hands really wasn't enough, um, particularly if uh, you know, you're flying a low-level uh, at yeah. night. Uh, and uh, you let, let me uh, describe a mission which was uh, like um, maritime strike, which is you know can be complicated, but you'd be uh, ingressing in a four ship low level, uh, so a couple of hundred feet above the waves to get beneath the uh, fleet's radar, mm-hmm. uh, and you're formating on each other visually, uh, um, but you're very close to the ground, and uh, you're carrying um, salaha. Sort of, harpoon um that sort of uh weapon so you're going to launch an anti-ship missile and you're coordinating your attack with two or three other formations coming in from other angles like a wagon wheel and there's an orion airborne who's using its radar to plot the ship's position and they're broadcasting on hf uh of the Serpic brief which is basically a, a short transmission with all the information you need to know about the disport of the position the disport of the fleet the high value targets etc you're trying to program that into your system so you're typing in lats and longs in through the uh, the display in front of you uh, and uh, you're programming the missile about where to go and in those days we we couldn't program it cleverly we yeah. used to have to try and point it on a bore sight so it would go through and <laughs> wouldn't hit a picket ship you're doing all this stuff uh so close to the water at night uh, and harder for the wingman than for me because they're trying to formate on me at the same time so there was a huge area there where things okay. could easily go wrong A moments uh uh, Inattention, or if you decide to use the uh, autopilot on on a radio altimeter hold, the single-channel autopilot close to the ground, there's always a chance it could yeah. fail and pop you in the sea. Yeah. So, you know, high risk. We tried it with uh, a naval officer in the back to help us out, uh, and it took so much workload down that – I went, this is the way to go. Similar <laughs> mission was uh, close air support, same sort of thing. Got a four-ship driving around with bounce. Got radio uh, yeah. briefing coming on your target. ton to type all the information into your weapons computer on the where the target is, decide what kind of attack to use, program the the weapons, which to use, and how to deploy them. It uh, was just a huge workload. Uh other areas, it was ideal for single seat. But uh, I, yeah. despite the fact I love single seat, I'm always think of having a second man in the aircraft was brilliant, was great, always, always, yeah. always. But yeah, that's just my personal opinion.
3: Why? Well, look forward to hearing part two of uh, you teased it well.
4: Oh, that, that yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I'm actually doing. A, the next talk I'm giving is uh, that entire tour condensed into one hour. So uh, mm-hmm. I'll have lots of uh, in, uh, stuff to talk about, which is great.
3: By the way, um, also uh, kudos on your interview of the uh, uh, Harrier pilot um, and who wrote uh, oh, Nine Lives. You. You're welcome.
4: Uh, yeah, very interesting chap. Uh, Chris, he was uh, um, yeah man who had, uh, had a Harrier crash. And uh, a lot of Harry experience and, uh, you know, a lot of people fascinated by that airplane, uh, as I was. Um, And we've revealed a few uh, flaws in the airplane, plus also hear about a fascinating flying career. uh, That sadly is on our competitors, PTUK.
3: Oh, yeah, then nobody's going to be able to hear it then.
4: Yeah, I know. So you can't, you're not allowed to go.
3: You're not allowed, no. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be very disappointing. Otherwise, we'll ban you. <laughs> We're joking around, of course, because most, or a lot, at least, of the audience here, um, also our audience for Traitors. the PTUK. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: um, yeah. Let's let's close today's show with this last piece of feedback from anonymous and. Um, 15 for the boys. Yeah, number 15 15. for you guys. Um, Anonymous writes in, uh, I've been a listener since starting flight training several years ago. I have um, contingent job offers, CJOs, with class dates next month for Commute Air and SkyWest. My ultimate career goal, uh, I'm 46 years old now, is to retire from Delta or United, possibly Southwest, based at Los Angeles International. I was just wondering if you might have any advice for which regional would be best to get there. I don't know if you guys can hear that uh, commotion out on
5: the hallway. fighting in the hallway.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Tone it down. Is there a party going on? Do, Apparently, do I wasn't make, invited. Make our way down to your house to join.
3: <laughs> anyway, uh, we continue. Sky West has a good reputation and an LAX base. I'd be flying the E-175, but they're non-union, and even with the proposed new pay rates being voted on, I would pay a little less, I would pay, it would pay a little less than Commute Air if you count the retention bonuses. Commute Air is ALPA, Airline Pilots Association Union, 40% owned by United, and has a solid contract in place with decent pay, good bonuses, and commuter benefits. I'll be flying the ERJ-145 and have to commute uh, from LAX to IAH, which is Houston Intercontinental. Sorry for the wordy email. I respect your opinion. Would really appreciate any insight you might have. I hope all is well and look forward to listening to the next episode of ABG. Sincerely, Anonymous. Now, I uh, wrote back to him and said, you know... Um, I know you're looking for solid advice, and I'm not sure that I know enough about this world uh, to to give you any good advice. But I do know somebody that uh, has um, experience in the regional world and, you know, recent experience uh, at that. And so I reached out to Stephen Ivey, our guest host today, and asked if he would uh, help me give Anonymous some advice regarding you know which way should he go or what are some things that he should consider and uh steven uh, was uh nice enough to take his time and uh, recorded some audio feedback which we were going to play today on today's show but this is even better we have steven here with us live so um steven if uh you could possibly uh, give anonymous some advice and perhaps maybe a bunch of people listening that might, uh, you know, find that advice valuable as well.
5: Okay. So yeah, I can give a little bit of advice. Um, so I'll, I think I mentioned before, um, I was at SkyWest, I was on the CRJ, so I will try not to be a little jaded towards them or, um, throw them under the bus. But, um, so the first thing I, I, I would say is this commuting thing. Um, It's not fun, and living in base is a huge quality of life um, difference. So, if you can find a regional airline that has the plane you would like to fly and has a base near you, I would um, highly recommend it. And the thing you got to realize is, too, so they'll tell you that, yeah, they've got these bases on the West Coast, or they got a base in your Home city. But the thing is, if the staffing at the airline says, well, we need people over at this other base, you very well could get that when you are going through training. So just because you've got a base in LAX doesn't mean that you're going to get it right off the bat. Um, You could um, go through training and get stuck in, I think uh, there's a 175 base in Minneapolis, there's one in Chicago. So that's all a possibility. Now you can bid for a different base. But, you know, it's all time and, you know, it's all location, time, and location for when you're at an airline. So um, the same thing, I mean, you could apply that to the commuter too. So just really evaluate um, and go do your own research. Find people that work for these places and figure out where their junior bases are and uh, what their junior fleet is so you can figure that out. Um, the second thing, kind of look at, um, he mentioned the union thing and I'm not really going to go into it, but I will say work rules are better at union carriers um, in general, not always the case, but the work rules are generally better at union carriers. Um, additionally, I also mentioned that Skywest actually just got a new contract or a new agreement um, last week. Um, their pay got bumped up a pretty good bit. Um, so if you're um, looking at them, go take a look at that new agreement they've got out. Um, the other thing that they mention here too is these commuter benefits. Not every airline has them. Skywest doesn't. So Commute Air, I believe, um, is offering um, if you're a reserve per- reserve pilot, which means you're on call, um, you can get um, so many hotel rooms on the company's dime per month, and then you can also get um, positive space commuting on United back and forth. Um, and that's a great thing, but you're still going to take eight hours of your week to go back and forth to Houston, um, you know, because it's three and a half, roughly three and a half hours each way, plus the time you spend taxiing around and everything. Um, and then, you know, once you evaluate all that, really, it comes down to pay and benefits. Um, I think right now, about all the regionals are paying the same. Um, the Holy Owns like um, Envoy PSA and Piedmont. Um, they've got an increased pay right now, but it's only for like the next two years. And then I think about everybody's going to be about that same hundred dollar an hour pay range that everyone's went to. It seems like for the regionals. Um, so take a look at that, look at, um, what bonuses are they offer? A lot of people, a lot of them offer retention bonuses. So you're there for so long, you'll get X amount of dollars. Then once you upgrade, you'll get X amount of dollars, um, as well. Um, and then you also mentioned that you were looking at going to Delta United or SkyWest. So uh, a good thing to point out here, too, is um, United's, um, they're not wholly owned, but they're reg- main regional carriers. So Commute Air, GoJet, and there's one more. I think I think Mesa participates in it, too, is that this um, Aviate program, which is a flow-through program, and I'll, what that is is you're you start with these regional airlines, and then you upgrade um, an X amount of time. Um, they'll off they'll, you'll get be able to get an interview at United. Uh, I think it's usually two and a half to four years. I, I'm not overly sure, but um, the American Holy owns also have that same type program. So that's PSA Envoy and Piedmont. They have a flow-through uh, agreement with um, uh, American, um, and that varies depending on the uh, airline you're working for. I think it's three years plus to flow through to American. And then I don't believe Delta has a program. I think they uh, Endeavor tried to get one, but the, um, the two unions couldn't come to gr- an agreement on it, so I don't think that's active. Um, and then Southwest, um, they generally um, they don't have a program per se. I think they just started one, but it's not affiliated with any particular airline. But I know with Southwest, they do tend to like um, ex-military guys a good bit. So um, that's just a couple of things to look for. And I've mentioned this at uh, you know um, at while we were doing the get to know us, but um, quality life's a big thing. I love it. Um, that's why I left I West. Um, because I got tired of the commuting, um, because my base in Atlanta closed. Um, so if you can find a regional that's got a base, um, nearby where you live and you're not going to have to move, um, or you're just going to have to commute for a short amount of time, or even if you have to take a little bit of a pay cut, it's, you're going to save so much time and money, um, from not having to commute. It's, it's, it's life changing.
3: Yeah.
5: It's really hard to put a... Stephen,
4: sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, Jeff. Uh, Uh, We were talking at the same time. (laughs) um, Since Anonymous uh, is keen to have an ultimate goal career of uh, getting to Delta or United based at L.A., um, is there any way he can accept, uh, you know pain now to achieve that aim is there a simple path that no, i don't think any path simple but is there a, a path that'll get him to his ultimate aim that he might have to endure a few years of discomfort to get there
5: um i i don't think there's a clear path nowadays just because there's such a, a big demand and there's just so many different ways to go about doing it um certainly if you're a former military you've got a better chance than civilian guys do by by a long shot um next to that i would say that um you know having more pic time at the regionals will definitely help you out um additionally to the various job fairs, meet and greets and everything, you know, uh, meeting the chief pilots, getting your name out there. I'd say that helps you out a lot too. Um, And then also, depending on who you talk to, um, the amount of times you update your application every month also um, gets your name out there a lot more than it does others. Um, So there's a lot of different ways you can go about doing it. So,
4: so there isn't, Oh, damn. There isn't Stephen Ivy. <laughs> yeah. Ex-Steven <clears throat> Ivy. Oh, it's interesting. I was just wondering if there was a regional that had a clearer path into one of those majors. The
3: thing about that is... It's says, an
4: interesting thing. It's so convoluted, and of course, mm-hmm. it changes all the time.
3: That's the thing.
4: It's, uh, it's a far from simple proposition, right now,
3: isn't it? you know, there might be a, some kind of an agreement with one of the regionals with a major, but... You know, a year from now or two years from now, will there, will yeah. it still be there? You know, it's it's hard to yeah. hard to say.
4: Interesting that Stephen keeps mentioning the military. Of course, uh, not really an option, I don't think, for uh, Anonymous here because he's you know too late on in his career. But um, you know, it just shows that if you if you do get an opportunity to get into the military, can I open up so many doors for you.
3: Yeah. welcome back, Stephen. <laughs> yeah try to keep dropping out oh that's that's what happens um,
4: well we've had you're a bit of a dropout
5: <laughs> it's not a false statement
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, Good for uh, you. yeah captain Nick was you know talking about these these flow- through agreements or you know cooperation yeah. agreements and but they it seems to me that they only it's, last for a certain term and well, then. Well, yeah
5: I and like I, I haven't been a part of one, but I, I I've taught the guys while I've been around the jump seat. Um and, and it's just it can range like a lot of time for how long you spend at this regional. Um I've um there's one guy that I talked to he'd been waiting six and a half years to go from envoy to American. Another guy waited like four and a half at um, PSA. It, it's I, I don't understand how they work per se. I know it's seniority based and how many pilots that Americans taking. And then with United's aviate program, I, I, I haven't really heard a clear consensus on how it works for how they, you know, pick a number of people. I do know all of these programs, they take X amount of people per month from X, you know, XYZ airline that they have an agreement with. But then the people like me that haven't been a part of it that take so many of those, too. And I mean, and and this is I mean, you can be in a flow through program all day long. But I mean, it's going to come down to what your credentials are. I mean, if you're a guy that's got 5000 hours of PIC time, they're going to take you before they take a guy that has 2500. I mean, that's just that's that's all it comes down to. And if you've got a letter of recommendation from somebody that works inside the company or a chief pilot, that's going to help you out a lot more than, you know, somebody that doesn't. So I mean, there's, I mean, we could go on for hours about what's what's going to get you in there, but I mean, it's really just doing your research on going to, you know, um, job fairs, uh, networking with people, uh, and just really having a a clean record. I mean, outside of that, I mean, unless you you're you're paying off somebody, I mean, that's (laughs) that's really the only way to go about doing it.
4: There are some interesting. things here to – because we're not comparing apples and oranges here. We're, oh, yeah. Because no, we're no. talking um, union representation, I would have said is very high on my list, but the aircraft type, very low. Now, I haven't flown either of these types. Uh, I might be making a big mistake there, but uh, that kind of would be my take on that. Uh, okay. And um, – uh, and uh, a company that is closely linked to a major would be much more important to me than one that is not and doesn't have a good uh, history of um, moving pilots forward. Um, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because how do you compare an aircraft type with the, uh, one that, uh, company that's union-based? You know, Does it really weigh up? Well, it's a short-term thing. This is a stepping stone to get to your ultimate career. So no the aircraft type to me doesn't i don't really care about i wouldn't really care about i'd be quite interested in the union thing because it protects me so much um, on the other hand you know uh, you mentioned a lot about basing and uh, if you're going to have to do this for years and you're interested in a family life and a married life and that's important to you then the basing is going to be yeah. equally high up there in your priorities uh, yeah. It depends on the individual and what importance you put on these things, surely.
5: Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, it really comes down to what you want to do with your life and what you have going on in your life um, at the current moment. I mean, I I could have easily stayed at SkyWest. I could have I'd, – I'd be honest, I'd probably already be gone to a major by now, probably, if I would have, because I'd had the PIC time in. But um, I knew the quality of life wasn't there because um, – I'll just be frank, Sky West uh, work rules are, they're, they're kind of rough. Even as a line holder, they can still pull you off of your trip and go assign you something else within your original footprint. And that, that, that's fine. But if you had, you know, if you were getting done at a certain time to make a flight home and then they change this other flight and then while you're at the outstation, the plane breaks, you know, I mean, which that could happen on your original trip too, but. It's just little things like that that throw a wrench in the plans that you had to get home. And then not only that, um, as a reserve person, before this most recent agreement, um, you do a lot of sitting at the airport on standby for eight hours at a time, but you're only getting paid for four hours of it. So, I I mean, I get you're on, on reserve and that's part of it. But, you know, it's just it was little things like that that just, you know, I think a lot of these union ran airlines, they don't have those little issues like that. You know, you know, if you get called out, you get pulled off of your trip to go do something else. You're getting paid for it. At SkyWest, if you weren't making um, more credit on what they g- they gave you better than what you're already assigned, you weren't getting any extra money on it. You just did the extra work, and that was the that was it. You weren't getting paid yeah. extra.
4: Yeah. So the union protection can be very valuable but I think perhaps more for an established career. If you're intending only spend a few years in a company yeah. as a means to an end, then I wouldn't care so much. But if it's going to yeah. be my career airline for 20 years, then golly, yes, yeah. a strong union representation would mean yeah. a lot to me.
5: And and I'll just throw this out there, too, because uh, you mentioned the aircraft type really doesn't matter to you. And, and, and it, I mean, in all actuality, it doesn't. But if you won't, like, just the comfort of the aircraft type that you know you're going to be spending hours in um obviously a newer aircraft like the 175 is gonna be better than the 145 that's coming up on 30 years old and is manual more manual than the 175 is so it's just a matter of what 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 you what, what do you want to fly and what are you going to spend your you know your hours in the most um and I, I, you know, I'd go to the one seventy five before the CRJ again if I was doing it over. To, but that's just me.
3: <laughs> and it's thirty better than no, the one forty five. I yeah. understand. yeah, it is. It is. Up, it's thirty. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great discussion. Thanks, Stephen, for uh, yep, for, for helping us. Yeah, good us stuff, that. Stephen. Well done. And uh, it's now time to wrap up today's show. And we want to thank all of you for, uh, especially those of you in the live audience. Thanks for hanging with us today. And, uh, fewer, um, uh, what's the, uh, signed up for following all that kind of stuff, uh, us on, uh, Facebook and Twitter, which we're going to tell you about here in a moment. Um, then we'll put out notices when we think we're going to be recording. It doesn't always work out. Uh, but, um, yeah, uh, that way you can join us uh, when we record the show live, perhaps, if it works out with your schedule. I think you'll have fun. And uh, so thank you again for um, listening to our show. And uh, make sure you head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com, the website. We have a lot of information about all kinds of sorts of things there, including uh, the APG community calendar. And uh, we're also on social media, or what I like to call the social meats.
4: Absolutely. And uh, if you look on Facebook, you'll find us at Airline Pilot Guy. That's all one word. And uh, on Twitter, uh, it's very simple at APG Crew, which is just about the same as Instagram. Uh, Instagram,
3: which is Instagram. APG Crew. The Insta. <laughs> yeah. All right.
4: Uh, we don't seem to have uh, a TikTok account. Why is that?
3: <laughs> because we don't want one. <laughs>
5: Uh, We don't want a TikTok. I think we do. Well, if you want to do that,
3: that's your thing.
5: (laughs) Scroll back about two days in in the private chat, and and you'll see why we don't need a TikTok. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. I'll I'll do that.
3: (laughs) Okay. And uh, let's see. We are also on Slack. And let's see. Of course, uh, Hillel is the one that uh, helps us out with that. And uh, he usually helps tell us all about. Well, hang on. I think I hear him now. In the, in the... Hey, hello. Can you help us with Slack? Okay, but I'm dripping wet. The people in the, uh, in the hallway are probably, what is that guy yelling about? All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> here we go. And
5: boom. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack.
3: All right. Thank you very much, Hillel, for telling There's us about... That there's hair in his toothbrush. Sorry. What, what to
4: kind of hair? That. Is it short and
3: curly? <laughs> oh, that's not good. All right. Let's move <laughs> on and finally say thanks again for listening to our show. We certainly do appreciate it. And we're hoping that we'll see you again or be in your era again on the next episode. So, with that, wishing you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care and God bless.
6: Bye, everybody.
5: See y'all.
1: Bye-bye. Yeah, he's up in the
0: sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Good
1: day.
2: Be such a good, good pilot till I started APG. I opened doors for little old ladies. I helped them to their seats. Airline not a guy, I fly. I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, I'm not a guy I fly a oh, Airline